I'm assuming, um, yeah. And we're going to actually put that closer. Oh, sorry, I can actually move yeah. in. I'm being, so, yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have a setup like U of M or University of Oh my I know. Yeah. That's, that's, the that's the dream. Yeah. We're hoping the, to get the boom there mics. Someday. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. So I'm assuming we're live. Always. Always All right. Live. Well, I recorded my whole How's week. life? Life's good. Yeah. How about you? Pretty pretty damn good. <laughs> I mean, the bombers lost, but that's, yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's going to happen. I was going to say, it's going to happen eventually. <laughs> yes. So we are here with Spencer Johnston, jack of all trades, I probably have to say. Pretty that's, much. Just like Mo Leggett. It's com- it's, yeah, it's a common theme among <laughs> guests we have on here. But uh, let's see. Let's see if I remember your story correctly. All so right. philosophy major. Yep. Uh, musician of all kinds. Yep. I, you're going to list those yeah. instruments you <laughs> oh, play. Man. Every okay. single one. If I can remember them. <laughs> <laughs> can you really play them if you can't? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, what else do we have? So, I mean, documentation associate with me at work. Yep. Um, we've had a lot of long-range conversations just about life and basically our experiences with it. And then I would say, so the other thing I pointed out to Jace was a coffee aficionado, which I thought right. was maybe one of the coolest. So former Starbucks barista. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which doesn't normally lend to being a coffee aficionado. They don't really have the best coffee, but. Really? I I feel like a lot of people would argue to disagree with that. Probably. <laughs> in terms of a place that I want to go to get coffee, yeah. I've there's some local shops that I've checked out lately that I really enjoy just in terms of the atmosphere and things and it's the homey vibes that they have to maybe get some work done and things. It's it's a little okay. more accessible than Starbucks just seems it's less to transactional. Be yeah, yeah, Starbucks just wants to get you, here's your coffee, get out the door yeah. kind of thing. But <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah, there's something about Starbucks coffee, though. They have all the different roasts, and you know exactly what they're, you're getting with it. And well, and then they have just the, the girly lattes. I'll, I'll say girly. <laughs> but uh, aren't they known for like espressos and stuff, too? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah, an espresso drink. well, like, drinker, but. They like brought, uh, you know what, I might get some flack for this, but like they brought the Italian style espresso over from Italy like early on. So right? that was Starbucks that did that. Yeah, so, or at least if you believe what they've written in their, like, <laughs> the Onward book that they, the CEO had. But. That's one of my favorite things that businesses do or just, or or people that have started businesses do is write the book and then they, they go through their entire story. <laughs> I remember the Good Life one. It's just like, there's over a million in print. I forget so what it's, the title yeah, is. Just hand them out to everybody and... And all of a sudden, it's, it's a um, successful book because there's a lot printed. Oh, so, yeah. So, so funny enough, it's a free book. Um, you yeah. can walk into, you don't even have to be a member. They'll give it to you. Um, <laughs> well, even if you stop in for one session, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you, get, the you get the book. You get the good yeah. life book. The Patch yeah. 11 okay. book. However, um, if you, you know the uh, book uh, sale they do at like St. Vitale Mall every year? <laughs> How many copies of that book? So there? many. In every section, somehow that book finds its way there. You can go into like the fictional section and it's there. And the thing is, you're paying money for this if you get oh, it man. there. Or you can just walk into any good life and get it for free. Is it at least like for charity or is it just... Let's yeah, keep... that's all charity-based, oh, okay. okay. right? I believe. So at least there's Well, what do you mean? Uh, but the, the, at, at, at the, the mall, yeah. Yeah, but I mean when you could get it for free, it seems True. to be a little bit of a, well, a backhanded like, thing to do. Because regardless. people donate it, so they're like, oh, I see this book I don't haven't read. Or yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Didn't want this to begin with. Here you go. 
Uh, yeah. I don't know how many copies of that book has been made to this day. <laughs> it's, well, it's over a million in print, I think, as last time I checked, but it's probably more than that. I bet you there's like beyond two million or three million. Funny enough, I had an intention to read it. I just have never gotten to, around to it. My book list is so long and it really doesn't <laughs> yeah. fall the top. I, I made it through at least half of it, to be honest with you. I just went like, ah, whatever, I'll see what kind of knowledge and maybe learn a little bit of the background of his story and see what I can take from it. But it was it was readable. I mean, there's a lot of those books. There were words Riley's on the page. Riley's review, readable. <laughs> well, but Two out of five stars. Well, that's maybe one of the issues that I see. Because obviously I'm interested in writing and writing a book eventually, but it's getting to that point where you feel that you have something valid to say and you've had enough experiences. I think I read a quote today. It might have been Hemingway. It's You have to live the experience before you ever write about it. And it's to be somebody that I feel I'm going through things. It's I'm somewhere maybe, I don't know if I'm at the middle of, I mean, there's different journeys, right? You yeah. have different, different things you're trying to succeed in. But I think it's, you have to have a certain level of experience before you ever write about it. So you have to live the chapters before you can write them. Yeah. Yeah. That's really what it was. Well, I guess for nonfiction. <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> well, true. Fiction, you could just make up whatever story. I Little known think, fact, well, The Martian was actually a nonfiction book. He lived that before he wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> See, but I, I think fiction is cool in the sense that you can hypothesize different realities well, or things that are happening. A lot, a lot, if you ask a lot of authors, I'm sure they would say, too, that they write, not necessarily on purpose, they write themselves and what they know into the book. So it is, it's even fiction somewhat based on your experiences, right? True. Uh, for some reason, I'm thinking of George Orwell and 1984. And he wrote that, it was Such in the book. 30s or 40s. It was after one of the major, I think after one of the major world wars. But uh, he hypothesized what the world be, would be like in 1984. And it, he was yeah. maybe a little bit off on the date, but a lot of the I'd things I'd say we're closer he, to it now than ever. And I'm probably even closer than the book even realizes that it hit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, just the fact that there's always something watching you. And we know from what was it, Snowden, the movie, that the CIA is watching, basically keeping tabs on everybody on in, in the yeah. entire planet. Is he still in hiding in Russia? Yeah, he's still in Russia. This is a lot of tangents. I love that we <laughs> just right. hop around it's all like over the place. Spending but. time on Wikipedia, you just go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> See, but I'm what's not, true and what's not? <laughs> I, I'm usually good with my Wikipedia searches because it's just one thing to another thing within the same genre or realm oh, okay. that I'm trying to search. I'll go on mythology rants and just here's Hercules' story and some yeah, of the myths, yeah. and then I'll go to another Perseus or somebody, and then... <laughs> See, I think Kales it's a little ADHD gods. bleeding through for me, because I'll be reading through and go, oh, what's that? That's a link. And then it's <laughs> just, you I know, click this. <laughs> next page. Okay, oh, this is interesting. And then there's another link. Well, I would say that that's very... From, from the little I do know about your personality, the fact that you always try and go underneath the surface, so you want to know almost everything about everything yeah so i could see those links being a little bit maybe distracting for you oh yeah when you're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, you're, when you're just scrolling down and you see something that might be interesting so. have you ever heard of scp no uh secure contain protect or something like that it's like some uh it, sorry this is another tangent but yeah. it's like this like almost wikipedia style horror um website where there's all these it's a government agency called scp and they have to go out and um, find all of these like crazy made up creatures and stuff, but it's very Wikipedia style. So they'll reference all of these like monsters as a link partway through. 
And so that when I first found it, it was like 120 tabs on my browser because all of a sudden, okay, I got to read about this one now. Okay, you've referenced this monster. Okay, let's find that out. What the hell was that? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the most plausible mythological monster. I think the Loch Ness monster. I feel that we only know so much about our oceans that there could be some, you know, the Pokemon loot. Plausible Lugia, that it could Lugia. exist. <laughs> But it's just plausible that there's something way down there that's this big dragon-like creature okay. that survived. I mean, the Loch Ness is in a lake, though. It's like it's the for the size of it. It's not plausible that that thing can live in such a I small lake. Yeah, I don't think it's a lake. But maybe one of them got displaced and and seen somewhere. Uh, the pictures of that seem really false. But then there's the Sasquatch, and they they've pretty much disproven all the findings of Sasquatch-like people. Well, there's the uh, not Loch Ness, but there's one. In uh, somewhere in Nunavut, I think area, there's a lake what? there. They have the same Ogopogo. Is that what it oh, is? Oh yeah. And I believe it's the same thing. It's the same type of idea. Um, but yeah, they yeah, named the lake you after. Can, the you can see videos of like things and and the water and fins or whatever. But it's just like they're all really low quality. Of right, course, right? Yeah. <laughs> we live in an HD age. Why have HD quality <laughs> yeah. of things that may not exist? But it's funny, just in terms of perception if you're able to even see those things i mean people have visions of things that are not really there and i know sometimes i can get distracted by my periphery or something in the light so and even actually i had one of the scariest moments of my life was in the dead of night i woke up to lights flashing and it was different colored lights so it was green lights in my window and there was uh, I believe I was staying at my parents' at the time. And uh, so there was, used to be a big evergreen in the front. And so there were kind of branches sticking out. And and there was this green light flashing. Yeah. And this weird... And I believe it was a plane going past or something, or maybe even okay. a car on the street. But it was definitely a green light. Yeah. And I knew... I mean, my brain was saying this isn't anything, but... Obviously, there's that part of you going, aliens are coming, and I'm going yeah. to <laughs> and I'm going to be one of those crazy persons w- with a probe story or something. Had yeah. you just woken up? or Just woken yeah, up. It was, okay. it was yeah. probably two or three yeah. in the morning, and I believe my then-girlfriend was in the room as well and also woke up. That but happened to me when I was a kid, except it wasn't aliens. It was this creepy lady standing over me in white. What? Yeah, what? I know. It was terrifying. <laughs> I just woke up, and it was very, like, grudge-like, so, like, the hair in front of the face and, like... You know this long white tattered robe, and I like hid under the covers really quickly. But yeah, no, <laughs> terrifying. So, do you think that that was a dream state that you were in, and you just woke up in the dream and saw that, or did you physically wake up, see this lady in white, and then have to hide and go back to sleep? I, I probably wasn't fully out of REM sleep at that point. Like I was probably still part way. Like I was awake, but my yeah, so brain was still going. Yeah, so in, your subconscious was yeah, still exactly. playing some sort of role in yeah. your scene. And I think that's fairly well documented, too. Like, people who, especially if you're paralyzed because you haven't... I was going to talk about that, Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, Sleep paralysis. So I think I've experienced that twice. One of them, I would say, was because I consumed some edible (laughs) and and was on a downstairs couch and couldn't move, but it was a weird sensation that I was conscious, but I was unable to function at all. I think my whole body... You know when your legs asleep, it was essentially that, but my whole body and I couldn't move, but it was a terrifying feeling to just go, I want to move. I want to make myself more comfortable, yeah. but I can't right now. <laughs> That's crazy. And so I didn't really have a, an out-of-body experience, but it was just one of those, it was weird to just feel lost 
in your own body. Yeah. You just, there was a disconnect between brain and function and Were and you able movement. to, like, recognize immediately that that's what was going on, or was it terrifying yeah. at that moment? I, I think my brain was conscious enough and cognitive okay, enough good. to be able to know the situation yeah. I was in. And then I went back to sleep, woke up, and then went, that was weird, and <laughs> yeah. went on my day. A lot of day. people are really scared when that happens because they just don't know that that's, like, just a natural thing that happens sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mine's been really quick. I've had it before, not since I was a kid, though, and it's always been me waking up suddenly, and it feels like the bed is kind of going up into a vertical, so you have that falling feeling Yeah. You get. Um, but then you can't move as well. And it usually lasts for, like, five seconds, and it's gone, and you're awake. So I guess it play, it's that part of that. I, uh, Coming out of that uh, REM sleep, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I I visited like I've I've had that happen a bunch of times when I visited uh, for some reason visited some family in Scotland, and my uncle, I had kind of like been suddenly woken up by that feeling of like oh crap I'm falling, and my uncle goes to me oh yeah that's just your body stopping you from dying you were going too far into your sleep pattern there and you're oh, about Jesus. to die <laughs> and I'm freaking terrified like I mean I'm 18 so I should be old enough not to be scared <laughs> by this but like yeah. I'm terrified at that point like what did I just almost die no <laughs> that's crazy um they say that you can't like your brain will always wake you up before you die in a dream or something like that I'm not okay. sure how true that is I feel like I've had that almost that experience where I've had I've been like stabbed in the heart in my dream, Jeez. and I had that feeling of like fading away, but yeah. then I like woke up at the last second, and it was the most surreal dream I, I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah, because I woke up and I just felt like my heart just stopped. Jeez. And I was just like, holy! And it was just like this shot of adrenaline that shot through me. No I, kidding. Like, jumped out of bed. Well, and, I mean, that makes sense. Like, yeah. especially on the theory that dreams are your brain's way of rehearsing like four traumatic events that yeah. you know preparing you ahead of time for like the lion chasing you out of the bushes or something yeah exactly yeah hmm. i think of it as the your dreams as being tied to your subconscious so things that you're feeling are going through and so i do i don't I'm, i feel that i'm not somebody that typically dreams a lot and i'm not sure why that is i know some people can vividly recall yeah. everything that happens in their dream yeah and I find it's... Apparently it takes, I, takes training, though, to... Yeah, you got to, like, well, wake up and write it down. Yeah. Go back to sleep and stuff. I find if I, I sleep through the night and wake up, I never remember those dreams. Mm. And then if I go back to bed, so I wake up and I'll sleep another hour, because you're not completely in that deep REM sleep. So your imagination takes over and you just get into this state of you're sleeping, but you're not. So it's... You're still conscious, right? So it's... Yeah. It's almost in between. You're you're maybe not resting, but you're you're there. And and I feel that I whenever I do remember something from a dream, I feel that that's yeah. I usually search a dream meaning of whatever right. <laughs> happened, if it's a person or if it's an experience. And I've had some weird ones where it's like you're on a ship and you're looking over the edge and you fall and and then you know you you don't know what happens and it's the fear of failure typically is when you're falling so there's yeah. there's a lot of things that you can relate from your dreams to actually what's happening in your life hmm. but then there's also some some of them that especially when you're dreaming of people and having experiences it's it can get really strange yeah, the, yeah. one of the the most common things i've heard and it's really weird um if you don't know if you're dreaming or not. If you're in a room with a light switch, try it using the light switch. In dreams, apparently, light switches don't work. Okay. So All right. That's an interesting concept. Yeah. I've never been in control of my dreams enough to to realize that, but like, it's such an interesting thing. Yeah. 
I, I think I've heard something about like clocks don't work well or, or like words written on a page or something. Oh, don't, really? Like you can't read them or something, but. That makes sense because it's tough to focus in on dreams. It all seems to happen in a little bit of a hazy state where you can sometimes though faces stick out in certain experiences and even rooms stick out, yeah. but it's, it's tough. Yeah. Anything written down or anything. I'm yeah. not typically reading the morning paper in my dreams or anything. There's there's some sort of experience happening. I've only ever had like partial lucidity in my dreams when for some reason I realize, oh crap, I can't walk or like I can't like I need to run away from something, but I can't run right now. So like it's like, you know, that like everything's in slow motion. You yeah. kind of feel like you're slipping on the floor or something. Yeah. For some reason, I like partially am lucid and realize, oh, wow, I really need to like I start making decisions in the dream consciously. Yeah. But like. I'm still not in control of like, okay, now I need to fly away. So let's fly. <laughs> that, that fluidity seems to be something where it's like, I think that's the term I'm looking for, but um, yeah, like that fight or flight that comes into your dreams and then, but then the paralysis to it, yeah. not being able to decide. It's yeah, like the flight play response play. doesn't work properly in dreams. I always get like, whenever I'm running away from something, I get like weak in my like joints and like it's almost like I can't feel my legs properly. Yeah, so yeah. It's just like you know, yeah, like you're slipping in place almost. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I would yeah. say that from that I would conduce that there's there's something in your life that you're supposed to be facing. So I think of it as and funny enough, this is back to mythology, but the dragon or the thing that you the obstacle in your life that currently is is on your plate that you're supposed to be dealing with. And you're trying to run from that, but things are not letting you run from that, so you have to confront it. So that's what I would take from an experience like that. And so I feel that there is a tie, for, especially from the subconscious to, uh, to dreams and then to your conscious life and the experiences that you're going through, too. Is there anything about, like, constant night terrors? I think I've been having night terrors since I was six years old. I still have them to this day. Jeez. Apparently it sounds like I'm getting murdered. Okay. However, I'll wake up the next day and be like, wow, that was the best sleep I've ever had. <laughs> and then my roommates would be like, yeah, you like scream yeah. for like an hour straight. I was like, oh, <laughs> well, I feel refreshed. Well, I had a good sleep. <laughs> it is strange that you're able to speak while you're sleeping too because yeah. you would think that your, your, your vocabulary, you wouldn't be able to consciously be speaking or, or reacting to anything. Well, yeah. I know for some people, for some reason, sleep paralysis doesn't work as well on mm -hmm. them. Like, because your brain's supposed to keep you not active, right? Mm -hmm. Or your subconscious is supposed to keep you from moving around so you don't hurt yourself in your sleep. Yeah. I know I'm one of those people that, like, I've slept walk numerous times. Like, I've woken up in the bathroom. I've woken up uh, downstairs. <laughs> um, or uh, I, I apparently yell a lot in my sleep or I do a lot of hand movements. So if someone's, like, sleeping next to me, I tend to, like, hit them with my oh, hand. No. <laughs> so I guess that part of the brain just doesn't work as well yeah. to keep me from moving. Yeah, I've definitely talked in my sleep. I've definitely kicked in my sleep <laughs> much to the chagrin of the other person um but yeah it's uh it is strange just the the reaction what's consciously you and what's just the reaction and what's what's subconsciously happening within a dream but yeah. you could be reacting outside of it there's just there's so many intricacies there that almost don't it's it's hard to explain i don't know if there's even the science to really say what's going on yeah it's I the mean, voluntary and involuntary reaction I mean, we know so little about the brain. It's like our oceans, yeah. right? <laughs> it's such a... Yeah. Well, it's, well, it's hard to measure brain chemistry while you're, like, alive, right? So, it, like, you can't really, like, you know, tap into somebody's brain and, and find out what chemicals are doing what at, at what time. 
yeah. actively while they're sleeping. I'm assuming though, because I'm not. One day. <laughs> <laughs> I studied philosophy and not like neuroscience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not qualified to talk about this neuroscience <laughs> that we're trying to hypothesize. Philosophy, about. neuroscience, potato, potato. Well, philosophy of mind was like my like main area of study. So uh, I'm a pretend neuroscientist. Philosophy of mind. Mm-hmm. So is is that consciousness as being one of the things? Like, what were yeah. the core concepts of a oh, man that I, as a major? In- so I mean, like my major was just philosophy, and they make you do. Like any other major, they make you do a bunch of different things that you're not really interested in to begin <laughs> with. Like I, for some reason, was not at all interested in ethics while I was there. Um, but then after I graduated, suddenly, oh, wow, ethics is really cool. I really should have paid attention to this. Um, so philosophy of mind is fairly broad because it's like all encompassing of your mind, your your brain. Um, so it goes down for like consciousness and what our thoughts, what do our thoughts actually consist of? Um, and now I'm blanking on everything else. I just made it out to be this like big pool of like, well, there's so much, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's really like, it, it goes way further than what I'm talking about now, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a pretty deep field. Yeah. I enjoyed, so one of my favorite courses was a sport ethics course and really it was, so it was pertaining to sport and basically where the values and rules stem from and maybe where you fall on how you view those rules and right. so you had to you had to designate where your your mindset was and where your belief system sort of stems from in terms of all these ethics in sport. And so cool. some people were just uh, I think it was deontology where it's rule followers. So mm-hmm. basically, this is the set of rules you follow them. If you break them, there should be a penalty and yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. So and that pertains to whether it's on field you get an objectionable conduct and it's a 15-yard penalty or using performance-enhancing drugs is against the rules. The difficulty with that is what is then how to create rules and who creates rules because you almost need... And funny enough, I see that as being maybe a conservative viewpoint is just follow the rules and then you'll be fine. And then you have the the liberal mindset, which is, well, why? Why are we having these rules? And so, and I very much... There was another one. It was teleology, and I don't remember exactly what uh, that constituted. But I was I I was a an existentialist thinker. So it was basically I am my set of values, experiences, thoughts, and and so I have to measure things against me and what what my belief system is, which is much harder than right. to come up with a a well constructed paper about my <laughs> my exact viewpoints, right? Because you're constantly going well. This is my thought, and these are my experiences, and therefore, this is what I view to be inherently wrong or right about this action. So it's, I mean, it, it's it's difficult to maybe explain in that sense. I wish there was, we always went through case studies, and you'd have to prove sort of your viewpoint and, and maybe how you would go forward with whatever action yeah. in that. So if it was someone cheating, or maybe it was a parent yelling at another kid on the team and it's so how do you address that right so it took a really broad view of like ethics in sports not just about like like how to like rules within the game but like even just yeah things like hovering hockey parents and all that kind of stuff well i think in the sense that you would be dealing with people in the community or in programs that you're involved with so better equipping you to deal with the ethics of either okay running a program being a coach or maybe yeah whatever the the scenario might be it's interesting that you would 
um, be gra like gravitate towards existentialism in that kind of. I feel like in in especially with sports, consequentialism would be a just a kind of a really easy way out, like a really easy way to do it. Because like you know, okay, it's a very. I mean, sports in general are very rule based, right? So what is the effect of this rule on the game itself? Would just be kind of. I don't know. To me, that's where I would gravitate. But it's it's interesting that you went kind of a different approach. I think it was funny because one of the first things that the prof said, I wish I remembered his name, but it was interesting. So I, I took the course at the U of W and my major was at the U of M. So it was with students I didn't know, a prof I didn't know. Right. And they were all AT or kinesiology based students. Okay. So it was it was myself, the only rec management community development student in that class. And I felt that I had a very differing opinion. And it was funny because one of his one of the first things he said was, if if you consider yourself an existentialist, you're going to have a tougher time writing papers than anybody yeah. else. <laughs> Sounds and, about right. <laughs> and so he was he was flat out honest. But then when I did the research, um, so my I think my one of my core um, philosophers that I studied was Kierkegaard. Okay. Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard. Yeah. Kierkegaard. Soren yeah. Kierkegaard. Soren. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he. It just followed a lot of my thought processes similarly, and so I felt that it was easy to pull from that literature, and I could sort of prove right. my mindset, and then whatever my decisions were upon that. So. so do you think that the kind of disclaimer at the beginning maybe colored your opinion to begin with? Like, it kind of set a challenge for you? I, I do thrive on the challenge, but I would say that that's who I am. I'm not... I look at the meaning behind the rules in a yeah. very similar way. I think that well, in the way that you look at coffee and the way that, you know, the <laughs> underneath the surface or mythology where you dig deeper yeah. for the deeper meaning, I would say that in in sport and in a lot of so and in my existentialist view that I look for the deeper meaning of why things are the way they are. Okay. And I almost don't. So then even so the other side of that is I understand why people cheat and why people are maybe forced into certain boxes in sport because when you see no alternative, so maybe on a different sense, the people that make it to a really high level in sport and to get there, I mean, you can make millions of dollars playing sport. So if you come from a, a socio-demographic background where you're lower middle class, lower class um, and live in, you know, in... And you see that as a way out. Right, right. So you're orienting yourself towards that. And so you're willing to do anything that it takes to get there. Yeah. And so when you're forced with maybe in college or whenever it is, do I take steroids and get ahead of the competition? And, you know, maybe it's high school and it's to get that scholarship. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's to make it to the pros and make millions of dollars. Yeah, I see people being backed into that, especially when you haven't been maybe when you're valued for your physical talents as well. Yeah. So nobody's telling you you're super intelligent, that you're, you have all these futures in whatever career it's, Oh, you're a great football player. You're a great soccer player. You're great. And so when your, your identity is tied to that, then you're more likely to just fall into those decisions. Right. Especially when it's so prevalent around too. I mean, there's some people that do it just to get ahead. And just to be better at their craft. Yeah. And so when you see those people around and then you go, I may be on the cusp of being something great or good in this sport, then you're much more willing to take that jump. And I know that it was, so then on the other side, being 
who I am, I always measured things against my morality and what I believed in. And, and intrinsically, I said that I would never resort to doing that in sport because it went against who I was as a person. Okay. And so, again, the existentialist, yeah, 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 I'm yeah. weighing against myself and my morality. And, and yet, don't try not to judge others for their decisions because sometimes it's even beyond their, not beyond their control, but it's, it's, it's that or it seems like the better alternative to go forward. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder if, they, like, because you mentioned the, like, socioeconomic demographic that you fall into. Um, that affects kind of what sport you end up playing, too. Like, there's a upfront cost to, like, for me, like, I always wanted to play hockey as a kid. Um, yeah. But I came from kind of a, you know, my family didn't have all that much money. Um, and there were three kids all around the same age. So, you know, sorry, guys, can't really play hockey. But here's soccer. You know, all you got to buy is the cleats and the, the shin guards and, and then pay for the fee. Um, so I wonder, you know, if that maybe influences anything in the person. Like, there's so many things to talk about there. But Well, that influences sport a ton. Yeah. I would say you have the upper middle class and, dare I say, predominantly Caucasian white sports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yet that's, that's evolving too. I mean, you see oh, sure. all sorts of stars in different, different sports. Uh, and then you see the typically, I mean, you, you see a lot of black athletes in, in basketball and in football. Okay. And I mean, you just see the differences in terms of cost to play. And, and so yeah. you look at hockey you look at tennis as being pretty elitist. You look at oh sure for like the lessons and stuff. It, yeah. it costs quite a bit. Costs tons yeah. to tennis, be a golf. part golf. Yeah. Oh golf, yeah. yeah. And so and, and yes, certain things are breaking down, but it's it's some people like to hold on to whatever. I mean, you're getting into group identity and things, and then there's the in group and the out group, and so. It's yeah. really hard to break in if you're somebody from a different culture or background or race. Yeah. Uh, and, and even a, a sport like tennis, uh, or no, sorry, golf, you couldn't have females as part of the, the club mm. yeah. because it was a men's club. It was, that's where the guys go to drink beer and yeah. shoot a golf <laughs> yeah. ball. Yeah. And so it took a long time. I think tennis was a little bit like that. I mean, you had, I believe women had to wear white and skirts and things. Yeah. And so okay. there's proper attire yeah. And so well, you had similar to, to golf. That. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But it's so there's all these intrinsic questions of, well, things evolved this way. Now, what do we do to maybe give people opportunities to play sports that they want to? Maybe it's hockey when you're young and, and you didn't ever get to try it. So I, I feel like our world's getting a little bit better and more inclusive in that way. But yeah. there's there's still the I mean, what, 90 percent, 85 percent of the NHL is white hockey players. Yeah, and I would say yeah. similar percentage of, of black athletes in both football and basketball. So, and not to say, I mean, things evolve for a reason. And, and especially in sports where you're trying to reach the top, it's the people that are playing more that are going to get better and mm. that are more exposed to it. So it's, yeah, it's a strange system that's been built, but you can only try and improve it now. I mean, there's no... True. There's no, well... Or you can leave it as it is, but it doesn't seem like that's our way of. What's of I was gonna say? What's the adage on that? Was like you know the second the best time to plant a tree was yesterday. The second best time is now, or something like that. Like, well, you know, if you yesterday's already gone. Well, that's it. So. Like, I think that's kind of the idea. It's like you know, okay, yeah. it would have been great had we fixed this you know ages ago, but we can do it right now. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm going to move the mic a little oh, bit. Oh, sorry. No, I, okay. no, I keep leaning back. You, That's... you sort of <laughs> kind of drifted <laughs> away there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's these damn early chairs. All good, all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'd say, like, soccer is probably, I mean, not in terms of male gender, but in terms of uh, culture, you see the most cultures. Because, I guess maybe it's because more accessible to well, the lower class as well. What do you need to play soccer? A ball? Right. And you can create your own yeah. nets. You can... Yeah. You can, it's an easy That's, sport to adapt to any environment. You exactly. can play it in a gym. You can play it on a field. Yeah, that's why you, you see kids on in the streets play it. Really right, yeah. 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 So it just, it makes sense that that is maybe the w- most widespread global sport we have because it, you only need one yeah. ball. It's just interesting that it's not very popular in North America or in Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. opposed to other sports like football or baseball um, and, and hockey, I guess. Yeah, it's... It's strange to but think of that. But that it's still evolution. the world's most popular sport. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, that's a... It's growing, I would say, the more that we have a, a, a global... Just the more... The more um, I'm trying to think of the word. But, like, the more exposure we have to each other across the world and the more immigration and, and the more open our world is, it seems that people are traveling, traveling to far-off lands to go live and, and search career. So... It does seem like soccer is getting more popular, yeah. but then yeah. there's also the want to incorporate yourself in the culture that you've immigrated to. So you take on the customs and the sports and the and the things that are happening there. So you do see yeah. a little bit of that. It's a little push pull, right? But I think a large part of it has to do with how what's commercially driven too. And football has gotten to such a point in, uh, especially in the states, that it's it's just commercially driven. And it's like. What we talked about this before. It's kind of taken over what the gladiator arena was back in like Roman Empire days. Mm. Yeah, it's spectacle. Yeah, it's spectacle. You there's cheerleaders, there's performers at halftime, there's uh, all star athletes on the field, and yeah. then there's these and there you see that they're entertainers and they're figures when there's a camera in their face too. So it is it is selling sport is entertainment, and so it does maybe take away from the intrinsic let's play to be better people and get better at this game or sport or, or what have you. But it's, I mean, it's how our world's evolved and commercials are only getting longer and more extravagant. And, yeah, but then, that's true. But then you're seeing this development now with YouTube. I wonder if you're going to see sports gravitate towards less commercials, but you have to pay for your subscription to watch. I mean, oh, yeah. well, I have... I think that's just the way like we're going to consume visual media going forward. Yeah. yeah. Well, gonna, they're starting to lean towards that now, too. Like, you can buy the passes online to watch the sports directly, yeah. the direct feed. I mean, you still get commercials with them. Yeah. But um, it's getting less cable-driven, I guess, and more online-driven. Um, I think eventually we'll probably see, like, Netflix Sports Division or something. <laughs> I know that's the thing you don't really see with Netflix is live television or things that are happening. I mean, there's not really news sources. There's comedy shows that go over what's yeah. happened, but yeah. they've uh, they've kind of adjusted a little bit though. They're because they're starting to release their own content in like weekly snippets. So like uh, you'll see sometimes a banner come up say like a new episode every week. Yeah. So it's kind of they're adjusting a little more towards. Yeah. I think like, a lot of those are are though. Um, them working in conjunction with uh, networks like CW. I know CW okay. has a has a contract with them. So uh, what's the show that's on there? That um, Riverdale. Okay, they, yeah. They release one episode a week, opposed so that 
they're on in schedule with the actual network. So it shows on the right. network and then it goes on Netflix right after it airs on the network, right? That makes sense. <laughs> so I'm guessing they're doing going to be starting to do more of that as well. Yeah. Um, I actually like, I prefer having all the episodes up at once. That's what I like about Netflix. And then it's I can watch it at my own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you want to, it yeah, usually yeah. ends up being that way. Yeah. True. Or I mean, you can watch like three or four at a time if you've got the time for only that. Or yeah, something. exactly. Yeah. I, I've been obsessed with, well, I just got internet set up a couple weeks ago. And so I have Netflix back. I was surviving off books, which is actually nice because you find yourself doing productive things and not yeah. just consuming that passive entertainment you're actually doing mind expanding things as opposed to mind numbing things yeah <laughs> so i've been watching luke cage though luke uh, cage. i really i, I can't enjoy get into the Marvel. it no no I, I love the world that they've created with it because it's the music that they have it's called harlem's paradise okay. and so but they've had they've had uh stephen marley they've had um i'm trying to think of some of the other artists but just well-known um this is going to bother me because there's one other really good, uh, Jadena, uh, he has a song. Like, there's these artists that I found out about because of the show, and they've been on that stage, and it's been like, oh, this is a really catchy song in the background, or this is really talented. But it's cool that that, so they they brought the music element into it, and then you have the superhero element, but you yeah. really have, and, and then you have the whole society that they've created around it, and you see sort of the impact that things have on the people in the community which they, I feel that they could do a little bit better a job doing that because sometimes people will like die and then you just forget about them the next episode. <laughs> and then, uh, but there's the bad guys just always seem to get away. And then yeah. sometimes the superhero is even willing to help them out. And you're like, so this person's life matters more than these 20 people. And yeah. it just, it, it's, but you have to have the entertainment. And when it's a 12 episode and 41 minutes or whatever it is, 50 minute episodes. Yeah. yeah. You gotta, you really gotta stretch for some content sometimes. So that's maybe one <laughs> of the only downfalls of those Marvel shows. Yeah. I don't know if they have like a, like a restriction that they need to beat a certain criteria in terms of episodes, but I, I actually like, I'm finding I like more shows now that are shorter in terms of how many episodes they have. So like eight episodes, 10 episodes. Um, what's a good uh, example? Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Was that initially? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dark is another good show that uh, appeared on Netflix. I believe it's German that show, cool. uh, but an amazing uh, time travel show. Oh yeah, really, nice. It is okay. a really dark show, <laughs> just like the title implies. But um, if, <laughs> yeah. you, if you like those like mystery mystery like elements, um, it's it's definitely a show worth checking out. Um, but it, it's interesting because uh, shows used to be almost. Always, tw- well, 21 minutes, and then because I had to make time for, I mean, Netflix, that restriction is kind of gone now. Yeah, true. Um, but also, they had to be like 20, was it 23, 24 episodes back before the writer strike happened in, what year was that, 2008? That's a lot. That's, I mean, coming up with episodes and editing them for half the year, essentially 26 yeah. weeks would be half the year. So 24 episodes yeah, and then time to write and actually mm, record and to edit. Not that it didn't exist back in the day, but it was less common to see a show that had 12 episodes per season. But now we kind of expect it after the writer's strike, it seems to be that. And I kind of, I, I like to lean that way because I like more character and plot-driven shows. So I feel like there's only so much you can do within a certain time span. So to have like 24 episodes yeah. of these one-hour shows, that's like, 
you're stretching out that content a lot compared Fair to enough. something like a movie well, and that how can do something does, in an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. How quickly does that exhaust what you can do with a show as well, having well, yeah, 24 and then, episodes? And then you put filler episodes in, and then it's like, I don't care about something that's not canon, so it's like, I don't want to watch those filler episodes. I mean, I love Game of Thrones as much as anybody, but if they doubled the amount of content, I mean, there's it's basically a movie every episode. Well, yeah, that, that's is, the thing, and then half a that's the thing that budget gets stretched thin too, right? So if yeah. you have the, if you double the episodes, which is ten per Game of Thrones, not even anymore. There's six in the last yeah. season, I think, or eight. It's it's the whole quality versus quantity debate. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather have quality. Honestly, that that's that. But well, that's, yeah. yeah, some I people mean, would rather just have more, and it, it works for some shows like uh, like maybe like more of the sitcoms and stuff that they can just keep pumping out material one yeah. after another. I, I like when I when I watch TV, I tend to watch mindless, kind of dumb, funny shows. So in that case, I'm just greedy. I just want it nonstop. Just keep just keep it coming. I'm with you in some cases. Like I just. Uh, I've never watched Rick and Morty until about two weeks ago, and I got really into that show. <laughs> yep. And they're all, the yeah, seasons are only 10 episodes yeah. long, and I'm like, this needs to be doubled that at least. Because <laughs> yep. I can't get enough of it. I, and I didn't like it at first, but it really grew on me. Yeah, and it's getting kind of a bad rap, I guess, because of the fanship online. Oh, is it? But yeah, Or at least it was a while ago on Reddit. But Reddit's kind of a. But they did. They did announce season four was coming for that next year. I think. I don't think they're. It's. It's nice to see that they're not rushed to do it either. That's good. Yeah. So it's, they want to take their time, make sure they come up with quality content instead yeah. of having. Got to make sure we hit this fall schedule every fall. Right? Yeah. <laughs> True. I want to do a study with people and just see how long it takes to. I find once you're invested in a show, you have to then. Then you're. You've invested the time in the characters and getting to yeah. know plot lines, and then you almost need or you feel the need to know what happens next yep and so and then the really good shows will leave you with a cliffhanger so you go oh i have to keep watching mm -hmm. this next one to see what happened at, at the end of this last one and then it just yeah. continues on on that tangent but uh yeah i because i think it's about i'm gonna say 45 minutes to so maybe two episodes if it's a shorter show mm -hmm. but at least one or two if it's uh and then a long show probably one episode because I found that with Game of Thrones was I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand the characters. I didn't really, wasn't super into it. But it was definitely my, I've always been interested in, uh, would say, sword warfare and or just militaristic, old school militaristic warfare. And so that element had it. And then sort of a renaissance type world that they created was interesting yeah. to me too. But yeah. I love I. I love Lord of the Rings, but one of the appeals of Game of Thrones is that that it, it is it is fantasy after all, but it's mm. kind of like a light fantasy almost. You know, there is magic in that, but it doesn't really. Well, I guess more now it goes into it with dragons yeah, it's and sort stuff. Of escalated, yeah. But uh, that, in the beginning, it wasn't really much of that. Like you'd see magic. I think appeared once in the first season, and it was mostly just all these like battles that were happening, right? Yeah. yeah. It all it seems realistic enough that you can believe it. A, a woman walking into fire with drag, and all of a sudden the dragons come out. And there's something mythological and sort of the hero story within that too. You have the death and rebirth through the flames like a phoenix, yeah. and then come back with some dragons that are going to help you take over the world. Well, part of what made Game of Thrones so big is is the fact that it's not uh, that it's willing to kill off its main characters, right? I mean. We saw one of the the main character get killed off in the first three episodes. Sorry, spoiler alert, but it, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> at, a seven-year-old show at this yeah. point. So. <laughs> I haven't watched it by now. Yeah. 
um, and they constantly do that. So yeah. it can't. But then there's also the the other side that people complain about, like, well, now you can't invest into any character because they're just going to kill them off. But I mean, like, I feel like loss in a well written show. Um, <laughs> it makes a good plot. I, I mean, don't. like, what do you say to those people though? Like, you yeah. can't. You then can't. Sorry, it's not a happy ending for everyone. Well, what about real life? Like, you can't then get invested in any people, you know, because they're yeah. gonna die at some yeah, point. Exactly. Like, you know. Yeah. No, it seems it seems realistic in the sense that that's the world that they live in, and they're all fighting over the Iron Throne. So it's obviously people are gonna be dying. Off well, at yeah, some point. yeah. Somebody's got to win this throne, and somebody's got to be sitting there. And so if it's a world of chaos and everybody's trying to get to the top. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's going to be a couple people that don't make it. Well, there's kind of more of a like who's actually going to win this thing dynamic to it. Whereas in, if you're, you know, okay, first couple episodes, here's the main character. You know, at some point, this character is yeah. gonna gonna you know be triumphant. Yeah, uh, it's I don't know. At least that was part of the appeal for me. It was kind of. But at the same time, I think the show kind of shows that it, it, it the, the Iron Throne's kind of a curse, right? Mm. So anyone that sits and ends up being murdered, right, in some <laughs> horrible fashion, right. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's it's funny because I see the so I almost see the character flaws in everybody and why they wouldn't make a great leader but then you so then you have to search of who would make the best and strongest and most uh, effective leader but then also has the people's interest at at the core of their their heart or whatever mm, so you want to say so, Snow. well obviously yeah. it's, well, it's <laughs> John Snow and it's Daenerys Daenerys but, I guess but and that was pretty prevalent from the early on and it was because they were willing to do what was necessary whereas some of the other characters i mean you saw their downfalls they're too greedy they're too well uh, i mean like too weak and that's why i don't want to give spoilers to anybody that (laughs) listens but like Jon snow and and daenerys joining forces right because Jon snow has no he doesn't want to be a leader right he just wants to live life but he kind of gets cut up caught up in being the hero that he doesn't want that attention and then daenerys wants that but she's also this, she is a bit of an egomaniac as well. Yeah, she's a little power hungry. Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of they kind of balance each other out in that way. So I feel like that makes for a powerful duo. I, I wish I remember the quote, but there's something along the lines of the best, I think it's I'm actually. I'm also sorry if I'm spoiling the show for you. No, that's already. okay. I haven't watched it in forever, but okay. like the internet's already spoiled th- it for me anyways. So. I think it's from the Tao Te Ching. So Lao, or yeah, Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching. And it's. The best king is somebody who doesn't want to be king, is essentially the, the core concept of it. Okay, and it's yeah. written, the Tao Te Ching is written in a very poetic way. So I, I'm really yeah. wrecking that, that whole bit of it. But Douglas Adams actually talks a bit about that too in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Cool. There's, um, Ooh, that was great. A, tri- uh, not even a trilogy, but how many books is it? Five or six? Yeah, it's like, yeah, including yeah. the one uh, Owen Culfer or Ewan Culfer wrote. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I love that. That's one of my favorite book series. Oh my, so good. But the, that's actually one of the main things that that uh, stuck with me in my third or fourth reread through the the series <laughs> was like that um, the the idea that you know the person who actually wants to be the ruler shouldn't actually be the ruler because they're going to be terrible at it. You got to find the guy who just begrudgingly goes along because it's a sense of duty and not because they actively want the power. I this was in. Uh... Dan Carlin, so he's a podcaster, historian, uh, historical-based podcaster, and he had a great series called The Wrath of Khans, and it's actually, so when they were elected Khan, and I, it was like the Kurotai, or Kurotai, I wish I remembered the exact 
ceremony that it was called. But they elect the new Khan, and he refuses two or three times before accepting. Right. And I think that goes hand in hand to just being the reluctant ruler, even yeah, though these yeah. guys would kill their own brothers and cousins to become the Khan of, of all of Mongolia. So it was that was a an interesting part. And it even goes along the lines of the meek shall inherit the earth in the Bible, where it's it's the people who are it's the the warrior in a garden, so the person completely equipped with the power to to do something, but, but no is intention. willing to keep their sword sheathed and, and yeah. to do what's necessary and tend the garden. So it's have that power, but but not enforce it on people. Yeah. Yeah. So how does a, a philosophy major then also <laughs> get into music? Do you find that they're hand in hand? Uh, music definitely came first. Yeah. Um, it was like all throughout high school. Um and it was, uh, that was where I wanted to go with my life to begin with. Like, I didn't want to go to university. I wanted to go to, um, in Toronto, there's a school called Metalworks and they teach you how to, um, how to record, how to do all the, the stuff you got to do in order to make a living in the music industry. Um, and my mom kind of sat me down and was like, listen, you can do that afterwards, go to university first, get your degree and then go do Metalworks afterwards. If you do it the other way around, the stuff you learn and Metalworks isn't going to be applicable anymore. So if you spend two years there and then go do a degree afterwards, whatever you learn, technology has already advanced so much in those, like, four years after you graduated that, you know, you, you, you're going to have to go back and redo it again. So I decided to go to university first and then just realized it was a really bad idea to try and get into recording music as a career path because there's no money in it. Um, but then again, I also decided to be a philosophy major, so there's no money in that either. <laughs> so, yeah. But there's something in following what you truly want to do. I think for me it was difficult because I had no clue coming out of high school. I went, I enjoy football. I want to do that. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> again, there's there's very few careers, and you still got to work on your way towards that. Yeah. So it was, it was trying a lot of different things, and I basically found bartending in the fact that it was the quickest way to make a dollar in a short amount of time, and it was a pretty fun industry to be involved mm. in. So, I mean, I started as a dishwasher and then moved to front of house and then... Started yeah, to work your way up. Worked my way up, and I got lucky because it was a restaurant that, that had just opened, and I decided, well, I'm going to work front of house. So I hosted for about two months and just sat people. And then you, there's so much turnover in the beginning of restaurants that... They were quickly like, well, you're more competent than half the people we hired. So here you go. <laughs> there you go. Find the bar. And uh, so that helped through school. But I think I've had a lot of different experiences career-wise. And it's only now that I've really been thinking in terms of, well, it's I definitely went through a quarter-life crisis, which I've talked mm. about before. But it was asking myself, I always do this. I always point. I'm pointing <laughs> this is to your the life. star. This is my <laughs> life. And I was down here and this is where I'm aiming. Yeah. So I keep doing that. But anyways, besides the point, so I asked myself difficult questions of what I actually wanted to build and accomplish in the world. And it was yeah. like, it, it's interesting to have the confidence in yourself to start doing that. Because I would say before, not that I was a low confidence person, but I listened too much and cared too much about likability in other people's opinions to ever follow what I truly wanted to do or even say or act. And and so I feel more in tune to that. And I don't think it's a perfect process where you can be congruent to the inner you at all moments of all time. Everybody has slip ups. Oh, sure. Everybody. And I, 
I actually was writing about it a little bit the other day that if you could live that way, you would truly be enlightened. Right. When they talk about Buddha sitting under the tree. And so when you're completely in tune to who you are and you're able to share that with the world, it's a, at least a form of enlightenment is, is yeah. how I'd explain it. I don't know how we set out talking about music and I got to enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, no, well, I think your original question was like, you know, is there a connection between philosophy and music? And for sure. I mean, anytime you're writing poetry of any kind, you have to put yourself in a somewhat philosophical mind frame. Um, although less so for Western philosophy, because Western philosophy went down a really analytic route. And so you're not so much thinking about the, the aesthetics of things, unless you're talking about philosophy of aesthetics. But... <laughs> You know, it uh, it definitely has, or at least when I decided to go down the philosophy route, everybody around me went, oh, that's great. You can write such deep music from it. I haven't written anything since, but. Really? Yeah. When did yeah. you uh, graduate? Uh, 2013. Okay. When I graduated, so. So what's the, is there a plan to eventually kind of meld philosophy and music together? Is that what, what would you like to do? Or is there a new yeah. plan that kind of came out of that? I'm terrible at planning things. Um, oh. I don't plan. Like, I, I, yeah, <laughs> my original plan was, okay, go to Metalworks and, and learn how to record music and all that kind of stuff. And then when that went out the window, I just kind of went with the flow. Um, kind of, you know, moved from just outside of Toronto to here. Basically, my girlfriend um, got a job here. So I, you know, okay, cool. Let's new experiences, new city. Let's go try that. Um, so yeah, basically for the music side of things, if it happens, if I get kind of a, you know, the inspiration to write something or, or something like that, then that would be fantastic. But I'm terrible planning. <laughs> There's no plan. <laughs> See, I found that I came from that sort of mindset and that background too, yeah. where I was, I enjoyed spontaneity and adventure. And I felt that you plan things yeah. that it takes away from that experience of life. But it's, I think I found a nice balance of things because I'm, I'm willing to throw away the plan and the checkbox when I need to, or right. when it's, you know, there's sometimes where a weekend comes up and there's an opportunity to maybe go on some cool adventure or trip with a friend or go to a lake or, and that comes up and you got to be willing to go, well, what's the priority here? Am, am I really missing out on if I don't plan these two or three things or if right. I don't check off these couple of boxes. So I think being open to that is a really important thing. Cause I had, when I tried comedy, one of my jokes was literally about free spirits and box stickers. And I said box stickers were the ones that like, and speaking about female partners in my case, but it was the ones that were planning your marriage before you'd ever met. <laughs> and then it went off on a couple more insulting things, but that's comedy <laughs> for you. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I, it's funny because I say I don't want to really be that, but I see the necessity of planning as getting things done and getting things, I mean, you have to plan and then you have to do. Right. And so when you're, I would say, free-spirited or if you're sponta spontaneous or you're adventurous, you're good at doing. You're good at the doing part because right. you, you're like, oh, let's go. This is a cool experience. This is something I could do. I could go to the coffee shop. I could go. So it's nice to have those experiences, but yeah. then, then you become a procrastinator. Or you you don't plan for what you want because you're stuck doing all these different things. Yeah, well, I was so, going to say like free spirit and and all that was such a nice way to put it because I would just <laughs> say bad at life, like just not very good at, <laughs> at succeeding, <laughs> or at least that's what I consider myself right now. So, well, but I would say that 
I, just your mentality and your willingness to, I think, working alongside you, I see your want to get to the bottom of things and come up with a more efficient and and yes. interesting or proper way to do things. Yeah, but, in another life, I was probably an engineer of some sort. I, <laughs> I would completely yeah. agree with that. Because you have certain knowledge that I, well, and it's that you're willing to seek out answers and figure out things like, I would say computer program, but just in the basic skills of being able yeah, to yeah. come up with, I, I don't, spreadsheets and what. Yeah, I've done, done of, a bunch of VBA programming for, but that's super like super boring technical <laughs> yeah. stuff. I don't. But it's just it's funny that you have that drive to to search for more meaning for things underneath and and gather that knowledge of pressing all those links and yeah. figuring out but behind the surface and then it's like to have that drive to it's just like what what you want. I think it's just finding what you want and then going oh, towards for sure. it. Absolutely. But there is that that figuring out process is maybe the hardest thing to go through is just ask yourself those questions of intrinsically, who am I? What do I want? Yeah. Where am I going? Yeah. How do I get there? And then one foot in front of the other, just keep going. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of actually, you kind of make a good point about that. Cause like not too long ago, I was listening to a podcast um, and they mentioned a website called seven cups and the full, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it before. No one can't it's, say that I have. It's called it's so it's a short form for seven cups of tea. Okay. And it's basically a website where you go, and I'm not trying to plug this or anything, but you go and you um, you can either volunteer as a listener or as a member. And so if you're a member, you're going, you're basically just signing up to chat with people. And like maybe you've got some, like, some issues going on in your life and you just want to talk um, and you want to kind of vent out your frustrations and stuff like that. And then the flip side of it is you can also volunteer to be a listener. And as a listener, you they give you kind of a bit of a training on active listening. So that way you learn how to listen properly. Um, so that way you're not giving advice to people, but you're actually trying to steer a conversation so that way they figure out their own problems. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just hearing about that and then visiting the website, seeing it was kind of cool, deciding to sign up to be a listener um, has kind of opened up this like whole other side of like, Oh, I, didn't realize I actually would enjoy this kind of thing, just sitting and listening to other people's problems. Yeah. That's kind of cool. So, I don't know. Maybe you've got a point in saying that, you know, it's an openness to experience. Or just talk a little bit closer to the mic. Sorry. I, I'm, I didn't mean to. I, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's an uh, interesting concept. I didn't know something like that even existed, actually. Well, so it completely makes sense in the fact that creating connections between people is maybe one of the things that helps... Well, we always talk about filling the cup. So if you're willing to listen to people and, and whatever they're going through, whatever you whatever they want to talk about, but then be able to give constructive feedback to that, yeah. it's like it maybe helps them through that difficult time or whatever. And I would say similarly to what a psychologist would do, but yeah. this yeah. seems to be more volunteer and just to help base. How does that so. work then? So as a listener, what happens? Is it like... All chat based? Is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's all it's all chat based, um, and it's kind of it's like I guess maybe a little bit like a call center type thing. When you load up the website, there's a little bar across the bottom, and it's either green or orange depending on how many people are waiting to connect with somebody. Okay. Um, and so what you can do is you can click on that, and then there's a whole list of people who are waiting, and sometimes they have a little bit about the problem they want to talk about. Maybe it's you know anxiety, depression, loneliness, breakups. Um, and you can kind of either pick from the top or kind of select somebody who you'd be interested in talking about that experience they're going through. Um, and then you basically chat back and forth, make sure they, they're aware that, you know, I, I'm here to listen, but I'm not 
here to give you advice because like yeah, I, yeah, I'm not. It, that's dangerous. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's kind of, I guess, the difference between a psychologist or like a therapist would be there to give you advice because they're trained. Yeah. Um, and then whereas a listener would just be there literally to listen and try and steer the conversation so that way you feel like come I'd to be a realization. really bad at that because <laughs> I'm the kind of person that if I'm presented with a problem, I need to find a way to fix yeah. it. So like, I'll be like, here's a list of things maybe you should try. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. And I was like that too. Like, I, I just generally am like that, especially when I have friends that come to me and and like, okay, I've got this problem. I try and solve it for them, which isn't helpful. <laughs> yeah, but that's not what they want to hear, it. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, they even say psychologists try and help the person sort out their own problem. Right. As opposed to, they're not giving them a ton of advice and things. It's more just, what's going on? Okay, maybe here are some thought processes, or yeah. th these are some things that you can do in those situations, some techniques to deal with something going on. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's really just equipping them to better handle their own problems so they can mm -hmm. get to that breakthrough themselves. And there's another thing, it's funny because it's a power technique, but it's don't do anything for others that they can do for themselves. Okay. Because then they rely on you for, the, people end up relying on you too much yeah. to do everything for them. Sort of so, the give a man to fish, teach a man to fish kind of yeah, terrible. Yeah, teach people to be independent and be able to get through yeah, their own so. things as opposed to, you will wear yourself way too thin if yeah. you're a person that is constantly putting out fires for other so, people. As that, opposed that, to that's a huge them. fault of mine right there is that like I'm the kind of person that if someone has a problem, it's like, here, just let me do it. Right. Right. Like if someone, it, the teach a man to fish thing, like I wouldn't be, I was just like, you know what? I'll just do it. Right. That, right, it'll, right. It'll be done faster <laughs> if I do it. So, but then it sort of becomes your own problem. It does. And, yeah, yeah. Because they'll always come back to you. Right. Yeah. So yeah. whenever it, I mean, I, a good example of this is people's computer problems. Instead of teaching them how to fix it, if, it, if the problem ever persists again, I'd be like, no, like, here, it's fine now. Right, right. And, <laughs> and then they come back to you again, right? So yeah. I guess it, maybe it's a good business model if you want people to come back. But. True, but you got to get them to pay you first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stop doing things for free. Yeah. That's that's the lesson. Don't do good things things from the goodness of your heart. Make people pay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the capitalist says. Um, the liberal says, I'll do it for you and for the, from the goodness of my heart. There we go. We, we solved the world's problems. Uh, so I'm, I'm a bad trainer too, because I, I, if I could, I'd train people for free if it paid my bills. Yeah. That's, it's so funny that, well, there's the people that are intrinsically motivated to make a difference. And then there's the people that are extrinsically motivated to make money and to do that. And so, I mean, we've talked about that almost ad nauseum, sure, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the fact that, yeah, but. You want it to stem from that place of genuinely helping people, but then there's the necessity to be able to survive in this world and yeah. to pay for yeah. pay I always for feel and the things that you want to do. I always feel guilty um, taking money for a service that, like, I, I don't know. It, it's weird for even when I do like graphical design work for someone. Um, I, I always feel bad when my friends come to me and be like, "Hey, can you do something up for me?" And I'm like, ah, "Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay me." And even though they offer, right? It's just if they paid me, then I have that that almost that feeling of guilt for something that I enjoy doing anyways. Okay. So it, it's it's weird because it's almost like I don't know. Maybe I've been trained in a way that I shouldn't be paid for something that I enjoy. Right. That work should be work. I think that's a, an issue of society right now, though. Like that's 
you know, if if it's something that you enjoy doing, then it's not really work, so you don't deserve to get paid for yeah. it. See that, but at the same time, that's kind of bullshit. Oh, for you, sure, you should, absolutely. You you should enjoy what you're doing, and you should be able to make a living off of that. And I think that's that comes or is perpetuated mostly by people who are miserable at work. And so, if I'm miserable at work, yeah. you should be too. Yeah, yeah, it, completely. Yeah. It's judgment on other parts who don't yeah. necessarily enjoy what they're doing, Just projecting their own issues. Yeah, constantly playing that game of like, well. I, it's something in my own life. It's like never get so stressed out that you can't just give back, do the things that you want and whatever. Like, I don't know. I don't want it. It's not be doing the thing just to make money, just to, you know, fulfill selfish needs or whatever. It's always wanting to like do something good. And in the sense of, of it almost seems that it should be state mandated or whatever, that you have the, the core physical abilities to live healthy and active. But yeah. But it's almost... I could not agree more with that, by the way. Well, and obviously that's a grassroots development, right? It's, it, I mean, we have gym classes in the school system, but it is, it's confined often to sports activities and things. And you have the kids that yeah. maybe are, are more independent in their active lifestyles or, or just as people. So they're not, they don't buy into the team sports, but it's, okay, I, you can't just sit there and pick dandelions. Like, how do we, yeah, yeah. How do we get you motivated? And so, well, funny enough, because this goes full circle to that was a business that I, I really wanted to start was physical literacy skills for youth and just felt that there was too much. Well, there just wasn't enough interest and there wasn't a way that I could make it monetarily sustainable. It would be a lot of work and investment for what looked to be nothing in return for the near future. And it's, that's not a business. That's a, that's you know, a charity a, at that point. Yeah. It's a charity. And yes, there are charities and there are not-for-profits that do programming of that sort, mm -hmm. but they're confined to, it's typically money for underserved populations, right. and which is really important work. But we're, I would say we, we only equip maybe half or above half youth to live healthy lives and to know and to motivate them and to know that they have the the uh, proper but like the physical skills to be active. Yeah. And so physical literacy is is the same way numeracy and literacy is. So so reading books, obviously you know what level reading you're at and if yeah. you can read a book and read at a grade 9 level, I remember they'd say that, but mathematics is similar, you have to follow this and Mind you, I suck at math and everything. That they oh, did so now. do I. <laughs> but so I guess in in terms of that, I might need more math right. literacy. But then physical literacy is another part of that. Is just having the core skills to be able to be active for life. And I don't think that we've equipped people nearly like ever. But I like that wording. By the way, physical literacy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's a term actually. Um, it's uh, Dr. Creelars of Winnipeg. Who he's a big proponent. Uh, he works at, out of the U of M, and he's, uh, I guess, Dr. Krelars, yeah. Um, but he's a big proponent of those essential movement skills for youth and has been um, really building that within the community as well and, and has some cool, I mean, he, he would run some lectures through our, my university experience, but what he was, some of his research involving, I want to say acrobats in the, uh, what's it called? The What's one of the major? Cirque du Soleil, oh, okay. I believe. And so it was really cool just 
seeing how the body can move. And these are masters of yeah. physical literacy. And actually, that was part of my youth programming was coming up with some sort of measurable scale to be like, this is where you're at with your skills at the beginning of my programming. And then it was to actually have purposeful building of those skills sort of individually, but as part of fun games or because right. it's it's usually tricking kids into thinking that it's fun and that it's well just keeping them moving and active and enjoying it yeah and keep them motivated to be involved in it and then to come back at the end of the I, w- I would call it an intervention just in the sense that it's something different within their their curriculum um and and what's currently offered so to measure at the start and then measure at the finish and then see this is the kind of development that they had through that time. And then obviously shouldn't that be more part of, well, and then prove the concept and then make that more part of the the curriculum as is, because I I still think that there's the prevalent thought and or action in gym class that here's a ball, learn, learn skills and learn learn teamwork and it's going to be great, but there's not that underlying what are we building and what are we trying to build from this? It's not so much addressing like the cause of an issue. It's more addressing kind of the symptoms of an issue. Yeah. Or at least that's what I got out of gym class was more like, okay, we need some way for you to be active throughout the day. Cause you're sitting for the rest of the day. Yeah. So here, here's a ball. Let's play volleyball. Not okay. Exercise is so important for your, your physical health, for your mental health, for everything. So let's teach you how to maintain uh, like a physical lifestyle throughout the, the rest of your life. Physical education, well, that's which it. is what the yeah. class is, right? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting concept, though. I, I actually think if maybe there was some way to mandate that, that'd be, uh, if you think about it, if people, because, and I actually didn't notice to what extent as a personal trainer until I became a personal trainer, that people don't realize, they don't know how to use their bodies properly. Mm. And so it, just in everyday, like lifting or that, they think they're doing something right, but they're not. Um, if you give someone a, a weight and tell them to lift it a certain way, yeah. if they've never lifted that a weight before, more often than not, they're not going to lift it properly. Right. And, but they think they are, for the most part. They'll be thinking they're lifting it a, a different way than they actually are, if that makes sense. Um, what a, a good example of that would be when someone goes down into like a squat position. Mm-hmm. They feel fine. They're like, oh, yeah, this is a natural squat position. And then you show them that, oh, you're on your tippy toes, like your heels are lifted off the ground, your back's bent over, and then you show them slowly how to do it properly and like, oh, this is much more comfortable. Right. And I can do this for a much longer period of time with probably uh, load-bearing weight. Suddenly it it changes their world, right? Oh, for sure. Because, I mean, I've signed up, I mean, this is probably a really standard story, but like I've signed up for a gym membership probably five or six times over my lifetime and probably been to the gym less times than I've actually signed up for the membership. <laughs> yeah, so you're I, not one of the only ones. No, <laughs> if, if, high statistics. Yeah, that. yeah. If there was a way to, for the government to kind of open it up so it wasn't uh, maybe more cost efficient, or like, hey, hey, here's a gym membership, go use it, or we'll pay for your this recreational sport that you want to play. Yeah, or something like that. So. Honestly, they have a, a I want to say bursary or some kind of grant that you can apply for for yes. weight loss. But you which have I to be is really freaking backwards. You have to be. I think there's a certain criteria you have to meet. So like you have to be pretty obese, poor, pretty yeah, obese okay. in order to actually apply for it. That's but it's such a silly. That's I mean, addressing the the symptom it's, instead it's of the symptom. cause again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 and and that's very much. I would say it's 
our, our system is a little backwards. It's the it's back to the starting with why, and it's okay. Well, what sh- what should we do for people that we can equip them to be healthy and active for their lives and be motivated to do those things? Yeah. As opposed to okay, people are already obese, and and not to say that you should do nothing for people who right. want to get active because it's it's never too late to make a change. That sounds very uh, cliche, especially right. when our podcast is named Be the Change. <laughs> this will be I'll, the tagline for the show. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> apparently we'll, yeah, you know, we'll have a couple catchphrases in there. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, so it's never too late to make a change because, yes, you can be better than you currently are in almost any capacity, right? And it's, it's when we refuse to stop growing is when mm. bad things happen. Like, yeah. if you're... That's when you get stuck. That's the definition of insanity, trying the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So it's like you you have to be building in different ways. And obviously, if you don't have any limitations in that sense, like go outside and go for a walk if that's where it starts, right? Yeah. There's, there's always something better you could be doing. I think a lot we, of people think of it as a, as a chore, like exercise. And I, I think people look at it the wrong way. Like, well, what's the best way to lose weight? To go on a treadmill. Treadmill's super boring. Well, then do something you like. If you like biking, go biking. If you like yeah. canoeing, go canoeing. Like, those are all forms of some sort of exercise, right? Yeah. yeah. So My thing is, yes, something's better than nothing. It would be great if everybody had those core skills to begin with, but... Um, oh, I forgot the point I was going to make. Sorry, I interrupted you. That's my bad. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting that we don't. No, I lost it. I lost <laughs> it <okay>. completely. <laughs> It'll come up later, probably after the recording's done. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, that's how brains work. <laughs> yeah. But I, it, sorry, go ahead. No, now. <laughs> it's gone. It'll come back. <laughs> No, I, I just think that if more people were more active and knew how to use their body properly and enjoyed it, that it would actually be a less strain on our medical system too, which mm. maybe is a bad thing because then there'd be less drugs sold by farm, pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it just people would live longer, healthier lives, I think, and you wouldn't see so many people. I see so many elderly with like the bent over posture, yeah. like with a cane or a walker. And that's completely avoidable. It's just because they've lifted things wrong their entire life or lived in or worked in like a factory or office setting where they're bent over in the wrong yeah. position for long periods of time, right? It was about enjoyment and it was also about starting a workout regimen. Okay. So I, I got it you back. You got it back. Now. There we go. Let's not talk about it. Let's oh, go. Right. <laughs> uh, so, no, but I, I so it, they say it takes three weeks to make a habit, so 21 days. And I also find that that's how long it takes your body to climatize to doing either more strenuous or even starting a workout regimen just to get your mm-hmm. energy levels to a place where it's sustainable to be doing that. So it's it's getting the wheels in motion. Yeah. Um, so once you start going, it becomes that much easier because you have your body climatizes to that workload and then you can even push yourself to be better because I feel that I'm in a place where I can sustain really high physical workloads because mm-hmm. I've been training for these races. But it's, it's then really cool to see people who are at a different level than you, who push you to want to be better at what you're currently doing. But yeah, I, I actually think that we should push people to do more. I would say, well, what I like about these Spartan races is it's a holistic challenge. And so 
I know that something's better than nothing, but also let's have some kind of cardiovascular, let's have some kind of flexibility, and let's have some kind of weight training. And so it seems that if that was more state mandated or something that, okay, let's do, let's teach people the core weightlifting skills. Let's teach people the core flexibility things, even if it's just stretching or whatever. Well, I wouldn't even say, fle- I'd say mobility over flexibility. Um, Same. That, yeah. that, mobility in what sense though? Uh, mobility is just being able to put your body in a proper posture and having it, having your body move in the ways that it's supposed to move. Flexibility well, extends beyond mobility. And some that, kind of stretching, though. Yeah, well, mobility ex- extends yeah. into stretching, too. But flexibility kind of, I mean, I guess it, it plays a role. Flexibility is going to cause you to have better mobility. So it's all, that's true. It's that's all true. interrelated. You could yeah. break down the core concepts, but I think we're saying the same thing true. in yeah. different ways. Yeah. We just can't agree on the term we want to <laughs> use. But yeah, I think having a holistic view of that sort would be helpful because it would, I think it would create more complete athletes. And, and so if you, if you measured people with that scale, I mean, my dad always said it, he is a hockey coach and he said the best thing, there's all these coaches that want people to just play one sport. And he says, no, because you're going to learn so many different, a kid that's playing soccer is going to have much more foot eye coordinated and they're going to be able to do with their feet what they want and they'll right. they'll be able to do more complicated motions and and maybe be able to kick the puck up to their skate i mean there's yeah, just yeah. there's transferable skills so it's nice when you actually work on those different things in different capacities and it's when you try and specify i mean the the weightlifters in the gym i guess if you're going to be a bodybuilder yeah you're going to lift weights but it's like the typical person it's like we should work on building these these wide set of skills. So those physical literacy skills to mm-hmm. go for a full circle. Yeah. Those uh, bodybuilders tend to lack mobility and flexibility as well. So you're, you're sacrificing one thing to gain another. Yeah. Well, and I was that when I played football. I was, I was a, a meathead football player that could run 40 yards at a time and lift heavy weights. But right. my, my flexibility was awful and I would say even... I just had tight muscles, and so it was really wasn't really transferable to being. Well, it's you hit a brick wall with a brick wall enough times, it's just mm. gonna break, <laughs> you know. And and so yes, I'm comparing myself and others to brick walls. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so be bondable, be flexible, and you're probably more apt to deal with those those bumps and those hits. But anyways, it's hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish I knew then what I know now, but <laughs> it's. It's, I mean, I found that next challenge on a physical realm that, that makes me want to be better, which is, which uh, that took a lot of searching to find too. But I think, yeah, to go full circle, it's, it's anything people can be doing to get better in a physical realm is, is beneficial. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So music, TV, <laughs> coffee. We didn't really get into coffee. No, not much. That's okay. What's that? I said not much, but I still want to know what instruments you play. Oh, man. Uh, Okay, so piano, uh, acoustic guitar, electric guitar. That's probably cheating separating the two, but still I'm going to separate the two. Um, Ukulele, uh, trumpet, saxophone. I did play the flute for a little while, um, but that was like years and years ago. Um, A zafoon, melodica, which again is cheating because it's... uh, it's you know basically a, a keyboard that you blow into. Yeah. Um, I'm probably missing a bunch of cajon. Um, 
can play like Beethoven. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Mandolin, violin. Um, I'm missing a few, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was the quite j- the array? Jifu, what was the Zafoon? Zafoon. The Zafoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's kind of like. It looks, so it's got the reed from a alto saxophone, and it kind of looks like a cross between like a recorder and a clarinet. Um, so it's basically just like this, this like hollowed out piece of plastic or bamboo, and it's got the kind of the, the fingering of a, of a um, recorder a little okay. bit, but it's got a reed. So I can, I can picture that a yeah. little bit. It's, it's X-A-P-H-O-O-N, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's difficult to play, but it's it's fun. That's awesome. So you still currently practice some, if not most, of these instruments. Yeah. So Do you ones, own most of these instruments. Yeah, I own all of them except for the saxophone and the flute. Um, those were kind of grade, like junior high school band kind of things. Okay. Um, saxophones are so expensive. I'd love to get my hands on a sax, but they're so expensive. Yeah, they are. But yeah, no. The ones that I brought over, the, some of them still live at my parents' house, and then the ones that I brought with me, I still play. Wow. That's. Uh, and have you ever played in bands or anything too? Or yeah, so I was uh, actually funny enough. I was the singer in a band. Um, I didn't really play any of the instruments. Um, <laughs> All this musical knowledge—that's it. Singing. And I'm singing. And yeah, uh, but aside from that, you know, just like you know, the junior high school bands and stuff like that. Do you find that you're comfortable? I find it's being the singer, you're maybe the most vulnerable because you mm. everybody's eyes are on you. I mean, that's why they become the famous ones and the bands and things. They're like you, the most relatable one because they, they're the ones that have the words. They're, yeah, they're, they're the, the face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess typically you listen to the words. It's why when I'm writing or something, I can't listen to songs with words yeah, because yeah. you focus. Your brain wants to know what the person's saying yeah. and take the meaning from it. So. You almost identify with it more, whereas if it's music, you can just let it, mm-hmm. it. You go with the feeling more so than the actual thought process of intellectualizing what they're saying. I right, so yeah. Maybe that's that's part of it. But no, I because I've played in bands. I played the drums, which I would say is very much, well, it's the heartbeat, yep. if you will. Yep. So there's the voice, the probably the brain and the arms and the whatever, but yeah, yeah it's, it's the heartbeat. So just keeping everything in line and keeping everything going, which is, I enjoyed that. And, and it's also just the more of the physical side of things. So it's just hitting things right, and making right. noises. So <laughs> I think that explains a lot of my personality, but I would say then performing at a coffee shop with both drum and singing, mm. it's a very different, even just singing. So whether it's karaoke or something, I find you can... It's much more your performance of what you're doing. Yes, yeah. And you're very limited when you have instruments. I mean, there's some people with guitars, which typically singers as well, that do their cool guitar tricks and things. But, yeah. yeah. And so your eyes go on them. But yeah, eyes, eyes typically go to the singer. And it is, I just found it to be the most vulnerable thing well, maybe you can do it in life. Well, I mean, especially if, like... Other than kiss the girl. Well... <laughs> Well, especially if you're like me and you're like terrible at dancing um, and you're the singer and you're standing there up on stage and you know there's a little, there are a number of eyes on you. Well, I'm not going to say all the eyes, but, you know, there's a little bit of awkwardness there at first. Like, you know, what do you do? And then that's where, you know, thankfully back when I did it, it was back in like the mid to late 2000s. So there's a lot of like the anxious wrapping the cord around your arms and spinning microphones around and stuff <laughs> like, you know, the stupid showy stuff that you do. But like, yeah. 
when the, you've got the sound guy screaming at you because you're yanking on his cable and he's got to go out and buy a new one afterwards, how do you how do you adjust? How do you? I, I can't dance, and the music doesn't uh, doesn't lend to dancing as much. See, my funny thing is, I felt with the drum, I felt more inhibited because I had to be both okay playing the music and singing, but there wasn't anything I could do to be a showman, right? And so. I found I almost got my confidence from just sinking into the music and mm. doing karaoke style, just, yeah, those spinning the microphone. Right, and, right. And doing my best Freddie Mercury train tracks. <laughs> you know? So, I, I mean, I find I can get into it that way, but it's, it's when people are just listening to your voice mm. and just listening to the words, and so you want to be on key and on pitch. Yeah. But then also trying to, I mean, it was the first time I both played an instrument and sang, so it was... That was a process to learn as well. But. I feel like that's got to be like even maybe it's just because I like I'm not a drummer and drums aren't one of the things that I can play. But like just being able to control all of my extremities in such different ways, maintain the beat, listen to the music at the same time and sing. That just seems like that's too many avenues for my brain to go. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. Yeah, it's it's difficult because, yeah, you're reading the audience. You have to. I mean, you have to know the lyrics, yeah, and you have to know the beat and the time and keep on time, yeah, yeah. And so it's it's a lot of things at once. But it, I mean, I was able to get through songs. I think my vocals suffered a little bit because of that. Um, but I also challenged myself to play difficult songs too. I mean, it was it was it, it's also interesting to figure out what kind of artist, what kind of songs you'd sing, and basically what you can memorize too. Right. <laughs> um but yeah i was able to i was able to do it and able to perform and nobody booed me off stage and nobody seemed to be oh, man, that's upset. good <laughs> that's good there were a couple of times where i went oh i didn't sing that song very well or yeah. <laughs> i could have been better or see the people drifting off and just yeah, you could yeah. see how uncomfortable they were in their seats but it was and then there were a couple times where I went, oh, that was pretty good. I mean, that's not so bad if, like, they're, like, kind of drifting off. Maybe they just got lost in the music or stuff. The shows we used to play because we were, like, <laughs> we weren't a hardcore band. And the, all of the bands that we played with were hardcore. So, like, I'm actually singing on stage. There's a little bit of screaming, but mostly singing. Every yeah. other band was screaming. Basically, people would talk through our set. Oh yeah, that's rough. Like that's we, rude. We, on, well, it is rude. We did. I mean, we had some fans and stuff that we came back to see us specifically, but for the most part. Thinking of Alexis on fire, and I think it's Dallas Green. Yep. Is there. So I think of more his stuff. I I could see where there's an overlap there, though. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. but uh, it's. I wish I would have played in more bands. I mean, we did our end of year concerts when I played the drums, and I was in concert band and jazz band. And then switch high schools and didn't keep up with it because it was basically football was the well, was football the one out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's nice to go full circle and then just I've always yeah. been passionate and interested about music. At one point wanted to be a DJ like every other 22 year old who goes to the bar <laughs> every weekend. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't because there's just nothing. I mean, it's not that I don't still appreciate some of the music, but it's just it's well, it's a little bit the lifestyle that comes along with that too for but, sure yeah. yeah i'm not i'm not musically inclined at all um i can't sing in tune i can't my i mean i have a monotone voice so the only times i sing are in my car when i'm alone okay. or uh if i drank enough and i'm at a karaoke bar hey 
<laughs> well, I feel like that's a muscle like anything else though. So like if you yeah. don't use it, you tend to not know how to use it. Like you don't know how to do the squat properly with your voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> squat with your voice. Yeah, that's I like it. That. <laughs> like so I, I feel like like if you practiced it enough and if you kind of tuned your ear enough sure. to it, you might yeah. be able to I feel like everybody can sing. Yeah. I've I've always been more of a whistler anyways. I'll okay. whistle all the time. So you're not tone deaf then. Like you can carry a tune. <laughs> it's just the muscles that are the problem. Yeah, that's, I guess do that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Go through the scales. It'd be all the same. Do re mi. <laughs> Monotone Jace over here. <laughs> Jace is a robot. So just start the rap career then because you don't really have to. You could voice I feel like I have not been shot enough or shot enough at. <laughs> Nine times. <laughs> it's okay. You're a Canadian rapper. It's fine. Yeah. It's, I mean, they all come from yeah, Toronto. I can rap about being Canadian, right? I mean, that's what Classified does. So Yeah. Uh, good to be Classified. <laughs> oh, Canada. Oh, 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 Canada. Yeah. I can freestyle rap, but I'm not going to currently do it. No. It's not. This isn't a talent that you've revealed on the podcast I wouldn't mind hearing a duo. Not I, on the podcast. Yeah. What? I wouldn't mind hearing a duo of rap between you two. A rap, rap battle. Rap, rap, rap battle. Rap battle. I don't know. I don't know if Spencer can rap. Oh me? I thought you meant between him and Classified. Okay. <laughs> oh me and Classified. Well, Riley would win hands down in that. But okay. <laughs> I don't know if Classified can rap battle. So I I got this one. It's, uh, we'll get the championship. I'll I'll call out Classified right now if we can rap battle. Oh, I don't know. I'm if he, willing to. I don't even think of him as face. rap. Even I, I like he, talk. he talks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a couple talk rappers. Yeah. There's a couple of skilled rappers, but yeah, it's I I like. I've always been somebody with a really eclectic taste in music and really think that there's music for every situation in life mm, sure. and, and yeah. a playlist that you can build for every situation yeah. in life. And so I swear by that on my Spotify, I always have new ones going and it's okay. Another workout at the gym and then have some kind of theme with it usually too. So sometimes it's heavy metal. Sometimes it's rap. Sometimes it's a little more electronic. Sometimes it's a mix of, of everything, but yeah, it's music is definitely one of the, the, the successes of mankind. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Actually, um, there's a new uh, new kind of music I want to start listening to uh, that I've kind of been getting into, but I want to bring it back to when I start working out again. And it, it, it's very hardcore, but not like screamo hardcore. Or it, it falls, it kind of kind of falls into its own category, but I guess you could say it's almost heavy metal. Mm. And I'm usually not a, a huge heavy metal fan. Um, and it, it's odd, but because it's a game soundtrack to uh, the 2016 game Doom, um, <laughs> for those who are gamers out there, and the, the artist, uh, the composer, his name is uh, Mick Gordon, and uh, I actually just recently watched a, uh, a conference where he talks about it for an hour and how he made the music, and it, it, he literally set up a bunch of arrays of different pedals, and then it created a feedback loop, and he took the feedback loop and the the ground hum from that yeah. because there's so many things attached to just there's like five different pedals and four different arrays of them um, and then he would take that and he process it into this kind of hardcore thing that you could see could be guitar but it's not really guitar okay and so it's just it makes you feel like a badass it's really hard to explain you kind of just have to check it out his stuff's on Spotify just look up the Doom soundtrack uh, Mick Gordon is his name and it, it's it's really interesting because it's Really, nothing out there that I've I've seen that sounds like anything like yeah. it. Oh, that's cool. My my workout go to is the Blade soundtrack. That's a good one. And Blade Trinity too. <laughs> it's the one with Ryan Reynolds and 
I'm trying to think. The female is also really famous, too. But obviously, Wesley Snipes. And Triple H is in that one, too. <laughs> so apparently, my wrestler lookalike, um, Triple H. Yeah, kind of, actually. I never thought about well, that. Well, it's with the hair now. I mean, he's, yeah. he's bald now. But when you think of Triple H, you think of him. Is he bald now? Yeah, he shaved it all off. No. Yeah. That's right? what he was Isn't known it? for. He just got rid of his trademark. Well, you got to evolve every once in a while. Sure. He's also been in the business for, what, 10, 20, 20 years at least, because he was 2001, but he was already in the WWE and famous at that point. So it's, it's wrestling's a funny thing because guys get famous from that. I've actually had the local wrestling, the CWE, follow me on, on social media, <laughs> and I've been to a couple of theirs, and it's, it's actually a really fun thing, but it was, it was Mo Legge that told me I missed my calling and should be... Have I considered being a wrestler? <laughs> and I actually had heard that the day before that somebody said I looked like Triple H. So, yeah. I, I never considered it, but yeah, here. I could see it. Well, I don't get it. I don't get why people would see me as a wrestler, but I guess it's blending the physical with being a talker and or entertainer of sorts. So, <laughs> and having a stage. So I guess I should. Funny enough, I did reach out to the guy, but I never followed through on actually <laughs> doing it. On signing up. Yeah, it's. It would be a long haul to get to the WWE at this point, and I don't think I'm willing to juice as much as it would take to get there. So, yeah. yeah I guess you'd I'll, be the skinny guy, right? Like, Yeah, I'd yeah. be a high flyer, and I don't think that that's going to be my forte. Because, yeah, all the other guys are, what, six, three, or four? They're all giants. Yeah, true. Just wear too. some platform shoes. You'll be fine. <laughs> Maybe that, that could be my thing. I, I, yeah, I don't I, know if anybody's really done that. I could really just see you walking out shirtless on the stage and be like, are you not entertained? <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't even need a microphone. I would just use oh, my you're loud enough. talking voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny the alternate realities that you could play for yourself. Like, what happens if this one little thing doesn't happen? Or yeah. maybe if I make this decision? Or I even read a quote today that was, uh, you can't, it, it's, you can't, well, basically you can't be everything. It's like, do something, but you can't do everything. Right, right. And so... It's it's kind of a shame that we don't get to have all the experience we, experiences we might want. Mm, maybe you do in parallel universes. Maybe you do. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a philosophical debate to have. Yeah, I think. See, I almost think that that is plausible. It's plausible that there's other realities of different decisions you make. But I'm more about the energies that you put out into the world. So it's just the world sort of manifests with you what it needs. Or the universe, or however you want to define that. Maybe it's deities, but it's it's sort of we, we are this creature of chance. Basically, a bunch of rocks hit each other in our galaxy and formed our planet, and we have a sun that's and we live in a the perfect distance away from our sun, which created mm -hmm. life, which is a a, a miracle in itself. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we have had all the necessary. Uh, biological um, um, developments to happen to make us human and to right. make us conscious and to, and, and to let us live the lives that we do. So it's all pretty miraculous that we're here. But, again, I'm on a tangent and I don't know where I'm going. With <laughs> but it, it's, um, yeah, to have those experiences and then it's like if these little things didn't happen, then humans wouldn't be here. But even... It created us, so there's probably a purpose for us to be here. We should probably find that purpose and pursue that. But it's also, I think, it manifests you in the energy that you're supposed to be for hmm. 
Well, well it's, I think it's potential impossibility that you can do things in your life and create things that go outside into the galaxy and maybe make those ripples. It's interesting that you feel that way because that's really counter to like your kind of existentialist approach. Like if you read yeah, Jean-Paul true. Sartre, he, like, he talks about kind of the purpose that you have is nothing more than just what you do and what you are. Like the, the meaning you create is the only meaning that there is. Yeah, so it's only within your own mind. But again, it's almost, I, I live in the time that I do with the yeah. knowledge that I do. So I'm able to go back and even consider history and how the planet formed. It's not, yeah. it's not from a, I mean, in my viewpoint, it's not from a God above. Right, it's, right. It's these things have happened, but it seems beyond chance in a sense. Okay. And then it's also, there was a time before us, so it's, that existentialism it's it's like it has to go beyond just human beings or who you are like in terms of yeah maybe i'm viewing the world and maybe this is all just in my own mind or whatever yeah, right? yeah. it's it's i'm experiencing through my own lens and maybe everything is just i, I mean you could be super what's what's the term you could think it's only you in the world but that seems a little bit it seems that much independence doesn't really make sense. Like that, just thinking that you're the only thing here. So obviously there's an effect you can have mm -hmm. on the outside circumstances. Right. And obviously things have evolved to the point that we are here and we can have an effect on our world. So it may be finding the best way forward because we have the choice to consciously do that is the most important thing we can do. It sounds almost like you're stuck between solipsism and existentialism, like where what's, you're like, where all you can know is your own mind. Um, so, and maybe I just misinterpreted what you, your point in bringing that up, but that, you know. Well, I, I think I was saying it for the fact that I don't believe that. I don't, oh, okay, I gotcha. Okay, so you're rejecting solipsism. As yeah, well, yeah, I don't believe it's just your experience. I think right. there's things that, that we can't explain or that are beyond our experience that we mm -hmm. have to consider. I mean, you have to consider your purpose here or at least finding your purpose here to make a better impact on the world and then the ripple effects that go out into the universe or energy or whatever you want to hypothesize is beyond us. Okay. Yeah. It's really spacey in the sense that it's hard <laughs> to explain things that are beyond maybe even comprehension, right? Yeah. There's only hypotheses on exactly why we're here and what are what we're supposed to be doing. Right. And also what's out there even in, in the universe. So mm -hmm. it's it's yeah, it's it's a strange time to be alive when we're considering all these things, but only have a grasp on a little bit. I mean they say that the human brain can only uh only taps into like what 10% of its potential. Right. So you're never going to have a fully someone who yeah. comprehends everything as a human being. So it's our combined efforts and or building and thoughts hmm. in, so, in, in that synergy that can actually make differences. An interesting kind of counterpoint to the whole 10% of your brain thing is I always ask people, well, if you could have 100% access to your brain, would you? Because then it would mean you'd have to manually pump your own heart, yeah. manually breathe all the time, yeah. manually blink all the time, which are all involuntary movements, right? So you'd have to do all this. Your brain does a lot on its own, right? Every A lot of things, systems in our bodies, like 
things like creating white blood cells that your brain takes care of that. Yeah. And even just beyond like autonomic nervous system type things, like you've got system one and system two characteristics of your brain where your system one is what you're conscious and what you're actually thinking about. So let's say you get introduced to like a new, a new task to do at work and it's a brand new system and you got to learn how to do it for a while there. You're engaging system one where you have to actually consciously think through every single step of the way. And eventually it becomes a system two process where you just think, okay, I have to do X. And so you just go and do X and your mind can go off and think about other things and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's a good point. Like, would you really want to have to call every single time? Think about how you move your arm in order to reach the mouse. Yeah. Yeah. Or rather maybe just think about like, maybe instead of having a hundred percent, what happens if you go from 10% to 11%, maybe you become that much more of a genius per se, (laughs) just for having that one more percent. Yeah. It's, I would say to have complete control over your conscious being would be the the best. So I guess thing one of your lobes, I guess, yeah. Because the subconscious takes care of itself. So tapping into your full brain potential and the capacity to comprehend, experience, and have that clarity. You know those would, times when you just feel completely clear-minded and you're yeah. absorbing everything from outside. And I would say we live in a very distracted time. So if you could tap into the, I can comprehend everything that's happening in the room, in my peripheries, and through sound. Would you want that, though? Like, that seems really like an overload. It seems like taxing, yeah. It seems very stressful. That's actually, like, you're, I can't remember what it's actually called, but it's kind of like an attentional spotlight. And, like, the, the fact that you change where your attention is focused based off of what you need to pay attention to is sort of built in as a defense mechanism so that way you can notice the rustling in the bushes that suddenly happen, you know, when you're in the savanna and back, you know, in our evolutionary history. Like, like imagine that would drive you crazy if you could always just hear that. Imagine like the air that's coming through the vents right now. If our brain didn't be, wasn't able to tune that out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would hope you'd be able to tune the non, but I guess we already do that. We tune out the non-important information because we, we get, we get pulled in different directions, but you're able to focus in on, singular things or or you'll forget about the white noise in the background because it's not prevalent it's not a danger it's not it's yeah. not important for me to be dealing with mm-hmm. yeah um although i would like to have access over my subconscious just to know what actually happens during my sleep and and what i dream to actually have access to that all the time would be kind of cool well so i found meditation and tarot is a really cool way to have a conversation with your subconscious and just be able to go underneath the surface of yourself be able to confront the things that are happening and be able to maybe either find a solution or just realize what you're thinking like thinking through your own situation and your own viewpoints i think is a really healthy practice and i don't think a lot of people spend time doing we spend a lot of time in front of tvs escaping our thoughts as opposed to actually diagnosing and and coming up with some kind of plan and or method forward and that's why i say i like active meditation more than passive Hmm. because i would say when you're doing breath focus or things and sitting there and i think it's shavasana but uh when you're sitting there and doing breath techniques i just find it's it's releasing, but it never really solves anything. You feel more at peace okay. and maybe more oneness and you feel less stressed, right. but you aren't, you aren't actually dealing with whatever it is that caused you to feel that way. Right. So 
True. I almost see there to being benefit in both. Yeah. Because if you're an anxious person, learning something like passive meditation, like where oh, you yeah. can just sit there and relax, then you can access that more throughout the day. Right. Whereas if you're somebody, well, I would say like me, who constantly wants control over their thoughts and their thinking and, and their their current place in the world, it's like then having that type of active conversation with yourself is important. Very deep. We've we went on so many tangents this episode. <laughs> I like I don't I can't even keep track of like where we came well, from and how we got to where we were going. I, I want to sum this up because we had a really good conversation. The I, I'm guessing we're going a little bit long or something. No, but, uh, an hour forty five. So we oh, got cool. time. Okay. Um, but no, one of the stories. So I wanted to hear about your Starbucks barista story, and because I think it speaks a lot of, to your character and probably one of the reasons. Well, and definitely one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here because it was, (laughs) I just enjoyed the fact that you were super accommodating and went above and beyond the call of duty, call of duty, I don't know, (laughs) but uh, to to help somebody. So I wanted to hear the story from your perspective. Okay. Oh, fair enough. It's, uh, uh, I guess a bit of background, I was working at Starbucks. I'm going to tell you the story because I don't know if he's told you the story (laughs) or not. So um, instead of talking to the camera. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> Go so ahead. Well, well, you need like a face on it or it something. Reminds me of Wally. It, it does remind me. Hi, Wally. <laughs> start talking to it. As yeah. Um, yeah, no, so I was working at Starbucks um, and there was a uh, customer who would come in every day and he was a, a short guy and he'd walk up and he would, he would give me a note written on the same lottery ticket. So it would be the exact same note not just like the same content, like it was actually the same piece of paper that he would give, um, written on the back of a lot of 649 ticket. Um, and it would say, small coffee, milk, sugar, good. Um, so I would go and I would get in the coffee and I'd hand it to him and I'd you know, say, okay, here you go, here's the price. And then he would look at the, the, the little screen on the back of the till um, and then, okay, yeah, and he would hand me. So kind of realized that he was, he was deaf. Um, so... Uh, sign language, I guess, was always something that was kind of interesting to me. Uh, so I decided, ah, you know what, okay, I can say thank you in, in sign. So, you know, okay, so I'd say thank you. And it, it would get a smile, and he would thank me back, and then he would walk away. Um, so eventually I decided, you know what, he's given me the same piece of paper. He comes in fairly frequently. Let's just learn his order. Um, okay, so you want a small coffee uh, with milk and sugar. Um, and so he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so I would go get him his order. He would say, thank you. He would walk off. Um, so I learned a little bit more. He actually brought a friend in. So I had to kind of learn like you want what, um, I, by the way, if anybody, any of your viewers actually knows sign, knows <laughs> sign this is very bad. Um, <laughs> but you know, um, you know, so basically I'd ask him, you know, what would you like? Um, and there was a little handout thing that had some of the offerings, uh, but it was very limited. So basically I'd hand it to him and he would kind of point to what he'd like. Um, and we had this full pastry case and they would browse occasionally, but not really be able to communicate how to, how to say it. So basically I learned more and more and more able to have little bits of conversation, um, able to kind of communicate with, okay, you know, would you like to try this new thing or would you like this pastry? Um, I made a uh, ASL for Starbucks cheat sheet that I posted in the back so that way it wasn't just me that could communicate with uh, these customers. 
Um, and basically, long story short, it ended up being a fairly regular destination for, I guess, the deaf population in Brampton. Wow. Um, yeah, no, it was it was really cool to watch, and uh, just kind of as the punchline, when I got uh, my review from my boss a couple of months later, it was like customer service. 1.5 out of 4. What? Yeah, it's like um hang on a second. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was uh it was I it just kind of felt wrong that like, you know, you obviously well, it would be very difficult for you to learn how to speak my language, but it would be a lot easier for me to learn how to speak your language. You are only getting the small coffee. You've got no opportunity to try all the rest of the stuff on the board. Um so it's just really simple for me to learn how to ask you what you like and be able to understand it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it goes a long ways, right? Well, and it, it really made kind of more of an impact than I thought it was going to initially. I just thought it was, you know, it's something I can learn how to do and, you know, be like, oh, cool, I learned a little bit of sign language. Um, but it made significantly more of an impact. The, specifically the first guy who came in, I never actually got his name um, because he would sign very fast. And he had another friend who came in with him as well. And she would always be like, no, 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 you need to slow down. He's like, he's just learning. You need to slow down. Um, <laughs> which I appreciated because he would just sign a mile a minute. And um, it got to the point where I just kind of smiled and, and nodded <laughs> along. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm catching like every 10th <laughs> sign that you're throwing out here. But like um, I did actually have a couple of customers that came in shortly afterwards and they asked me what your name sign was. And I had no idea what that meant. And so if you're basically, if you're going to introduce yourself to somebody, you'd be like, hi. Uh, my name is, and then you got to spell out your name, S-P-E-N-C-E-R, which for me is, you know, that's relatively long, could be longer. Um, so in, instead of having to do that every single time you either introduce yourself or are speaking about somebody, mm -hmm. they come up with name signs. So for mine, they decided that you, generally if you're a hearing person, it's got to be given to you by a deaf person. Um, so they decided because I worked in a coffee shop, it was going to have something to do with coffee. And then my initials were SJ, so this ended up being my name sign was, oh, yeah, yeah SJ. Um, so, hi, my name is, well, I spelt it before, so Spencer, and that's, <laughs> that's yeah. Coffee guy, SJ. Yeah, that's it. It's like my, my username. Yeah. At that point, you could have opened <laughs> your own coffee shop that was uh, aimed at the more demographic the, of deaf Yeah, yeah. That's, well, and, and don't be afraid to say deaf people, like, I'm not trying to speak on behalf of the community, but, like, deaf with a capital D is sort of like their culture. Okay. Um, so it's perfectly politically correct to call them deaf people um, because it's seen more as a culture than kind of a handicap. So. Interesting. Yeah. That's, to me, that's interesting that they, that they identify with it because there's been this people first language that's yes. been taught through school. So people living with an intellectual disability yeah. or people living with a physical disability yeah. as opposed to saying deaf almost seems that, that, uh, um, diagnosing, you know, it's it's that diagnosis as opposed to I, saying that this yeah. is a person first. But. I think it comes down to language. Like language really is kind of the way we communicate our culture. And there's no other, um, for lack of a better term, disability that really comes with a language. And there are so many variations. With, like ASL is its own language. Yeah. Um, and like it's not, there's signed exact English, which is another variation of a sign language. But it's exactly what it's it says. It's it, it's English. It's the same grammar structure and everything, just with signs instead. And it never really caught on. I mean, there are people who only only speak that, but 
it never really caught on because it's not as fluid and it's not a language. And so through that, you know, there's deaf culture that comes out because, you know, this is a language that they speak and this is something that they can share with each other. Yeah. Which I think maybe that's why that's the only real... Well, they identify with it and don't see it as a negative thing. Well, that's it, it's, yeah. It's more, it's not a this is our culture, and this is us, and this is what we share yeah. together, yeah. and we have our own language. I so kind of get is. that. It really doesn't prevent them from doing no. No. Well, yeah. it's, mostly it's, anything. Yeah, so, it's yeah. one area. Of Whereas life. a disability means you're disabled from de- being able to do something that yeah, right. other people can't. Which I think even disability is kind of a, a like a not great term nowadays either. Like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> difficult to stay. It on generalizes top something that's co- that kind of covers a broad, a broad right, spectrum. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, it it kind of dehumanizes the person a little bit because, like, you know, you're saying you're not able to do a bunch of things. Well, okay, who are you to decide that? You know, yeah. there's a lot of people who are shocked. Oh, you know, deaf people can drive. Like, oh, you can drive? Well, it doesn't affect my ability to see. And I think that's, if you were say, tell someone that you're disabled or that someone's disabled, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, or at least for me, it's a wheelchair, right? Right, Someone's right. in a wheelchair, yeah. they're disabled. So I, I, maybe that's why they don't like being associated with yeah. someone who dis, has a disability because I, it creates that almost um, stereotype, I guess. Right, right. I think it's interesting. So this is side note but talking about driving it would be tough to well you think of we have horns and there are but that's the only I feel like horns cause more accidents than they yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's more just the sign of anger in our society yeah. of frustration with somebody because either yeah. the accident's going to happen or it's, it's not it's the cue to so. flip someone off <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> but that's maybe the only time i see auditory i mean i listen to music super loud in the car anyway well that's it like you know and even then would be distracted. that you're distracted at that point. It's not even just that you can't hear what's going on about you, but you're actually part of your attention is being spent elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that we don't pay more attention when we're driving and <laughs> something that, I mean, we talk about how many fatalities and things. And yeah. I mean, sometimes there's other things at play, but it's like, yeah, a vehicle moving faster than anything that is, is, animal or whatever like yeah like i don't know how fast cheetahs go in terms of cars but probably like you know 20 30 miles an hour we're going right. 60 kilometers i was actually just reading an article an the fastest cheetah that uh i think the fastest cheetah record was 69 miles per hour so that's over 100 kilometers an hour right but still capable yeah, for a car to go faster than that I mean, yeah oh easy yeah. yeah imagine if we could splice our jeans with cheetahs and be really fast <laughs> so Usain Bolt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I had a conversation today about maybe rum is what makes Jamaicans fast because we talked about the rum hunt. Anyways, okay. it, doesn't, it doesn't really okay. make sense. <laughs> I'm only realizing that now. Back to the car thing. Yeah, it, it actually baffles my mind when I see people who refuse to wear seatbelts oh. based on a comfort thing. I'm like, it's such a minor thing that yeah. will save your life. Yeah. Isn't it weird that buses and taxis don't typically have seatbelts? I don't know. It's yeah, it is. But how often do you hear about bus fatalities? Well, bus fatalities that usually happen are usually like massive mm. collisions. Yeah, like so the one in Saskatchewan, I guess. But yeah, but in terms of just street, but I mean, it could happen, right? You're still in a vehicle. True. true. So yeah, very true. Why well, would and be at least a, a waste buckle or something? Even on public transit, like it's like while you don't even have a seatbelt, you are also allowed to be standing while. Like, and just holding onto a metal pole. Yeah. Well, and I almost lose my balance when I, and I like oh, yeah. to think that I have I pretty good balance. Up. Yeah. But 
if you're not holding on to anything or don't don't brace yourself in some way and then there's a sudden quick jerk it seems that you're gonna fall every time so it's yeah the bus is a strange yeah (laughs) i mean it's convenient i i swear by it because it's the best way to get downtown but oh for sure it's the cheapest way to get downtown too. Well, exactly. That's, that's why I didn't drive today because oh, why am I going to spend fifteen bucks on parking when well, I can? Well, the good news is on Sunday it's free. Oh, bro. is it free? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Oh my god! Could have okay. saved you that extra yeah. twenty All minutes. Right. You could have been on. I time wouldn't have been late too. Totally <laughs> <laughs> good. It's late good. and sweaty, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any closing thoughts about? We went off on a lot of ridiculous tangents today. Wear your seatbelt, folks. Yeah. Let's <laughs> wear your seatbelt. Physical literacy is important, okay? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, music's good. Music's good. <laughs> Coffee's also good. Coffee's delicious. Uh, learning sign language for other people is, is helpful. Well, it's super fun, too. Customer like, service goes a long way. I think you can I, – I, that's kind of what I took out of that. Is yeah. That I, and I think – I kind of applied it almost to a business aspect, and I don't almost don't want to, but at the same time, that's where business, businesses thrive is that built, if you go to your way to help somebody, yeah. right, it shows your care. Small acts of kindness go a long way towards yeah. anybody. Yeah. So when, and especially when it's driven towards the individual, it's like you're going out of the way for one person, yeah. but that you don't realize the impacts that that has. For sure. So in, in terms of then, again, talking about spirituality or whatever, those things go outwards. Though. Yeah. And, and so... Those small acts of kindness can grow, and maybe that person's day is better. They have a small act of kindness, so it's that it's that you know those degrees of separation and the things yeah. that you put out into the world actually can and do make a difference. Well, and especially for a company like Starbucks, where they want to be a third place environment, where you know first place is home, second place is work, third place is Starbucks. That's kind of their their mantra about it. And like, if you can make it a third place environment for everybody, that's even better. And like you said, you know, the business side of it, it wasn't the main intent, but it demonstrably grew the business because it went from one person to two people to three people to a whole bunch of people coming in specifically for the fact that, hey, there are some people here who will speak to us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it goes a long ways. Considering you look at other places, maybe like Tim Hortons or or even fast food restaurants that treat you like a number, right? Can it's, next, yeah. Here's your food. Transactional based yeah, transactional environments. Based. Whereas Starbucks t- tries not to be a transactional-based environment. They try to be, you know, more of a, uh, a relationship-based environment. But Well, my, I always measure it on it's the service, the price, and the quality. And so mm. when all those things are aligned, yeah. so you can expect that the cheaper the coffee, probably the service is going to be a little bit lesser and they're True. more just transactional-based. And then, yeah, so service quality yeah so it yeah, all yeah. it all plays plays part right so and that's why i will say i'm more willing to go to someplace like starbucks is when you have people that are kind go to their ways maybe spend a little more time with you uh the atmosphere is a little bit nicer like you're paying for that experience rather than you're paying this episode's becoming a, like a starbucks. Uh, an advertisement for starbucks <laughs> well <laughs> but then but then there's the the home style or local coffee shops, which then yes. I feel have a more intrinsic. I want to get to know your name, and, and yeah. it's more and it's even enhances this. They usually have better price. coffee too. Starbucks has to overroast their coffee because they have to get from so many different varietals in order to. Sorry, this is getting a little bit into the coffee nerdiness, but <laughs> because okay. they need they have such a high demand, they have to like t- uh, it's a they have to basically get so many beans. 
and there's not enough beans in any particular varietal that taste a certain way. So they have to adjust the roast profiles so that way they can make maybe a different blend of different kinds of beans taste the same as this other blend of different kinds of hmm. beans that also go into the same like flavor of coffee. So each year, if you ever go to Starbucks, like, hey, how come this year this seasonal offering tastes different from last year? That's why. Because they had to adjust the roast profile so that way the different, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons, but there's not enough time to get into that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really only recently learned, well, I can now tell different flavor profiles in mm. coffee to where before it was coffee is just this general black liquid that right. gives me caffeine that allows me to stay yeah, awake. That's kind of how I, well, I don't drink coffee normally. Unless I really need it, so yeah, double yeah. double's not really coffee, though. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had another thing to say, but no, no it's no. just a little bit of a backhanded beak. But uh, yeah, no, in terms of coffee, like it's it's now the appreciation of it. It's I think in the same way that wine is, mm. yes. Where, where you once you get to enjoy the flavors and you can see the distinct different things that are put into it and. And that's when you can start to actually yeah. nerd out and then go well, off on crazy tangents. Maybe you and I should do a coffee tasting one day because they're a lot of fun. And it's like if you kind of walk through it and talk through it with people, you start to actually taste more. Yeah. Um, because you start to put labels onto things. And then like I could never taste cherry notes or any fruit notes in coffee. And there would always be like, oh, this is such a great like cherry flavor to it. I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. Then I went to a reserve store. And all of a sudden, all I could taste was cherry because this one just like punched me in the face with like a cherry Danish flavor. And there like, yeah. 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 So like as soon as you are able to like label a flavor, suddenly you can just taste it anywhere. So yeah, maybe we should try that one day. Deal. Yeah. I'm in. Coffee and music. We'll, yeah, there you we'll go. find some live music. <laughs> too. All right. Well, Spencer Johnson, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank I, you. I yes, knew this thank would, you very much. I knew this would be an awesome conversation just to go off on tangents and <laughs> yeah. talk about the world yeah. and sort out meaning within this chaotic and crazy <laughs> world at times. So thank you for putting up with all my tangents and ridiculousness. That's okay. And and especially throughout the work week, too. <laughs> He's got to deal with this on a daily basis. Uh, you know what? It makes it interesting. Work's always boring anyways, right? There we so. go. <laughs> I, hopefully I can make it a little more entertaining and fun for people. So I think that's what I'm here for. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening, people. We still need to tell them where we can find Oh, yes. Oh, maybe you. you as well if you, you want, want people plug? to find you. Where to find me? Oh, I'm like not active on social media or anything like that. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> on the street corner. On a street corner. Somewhere in Winnipeg. I might be. You'll find them browsing a bunch of wiki pages. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and drinking some coffee. Yeah. At some guitar. coffee shop going through the wormhole of Wikipedia. That's it. Yeah. That's. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As always, we're Be The Change. So at Be The Change YPS on both Instagram and Facebook. We might get a Twitter soon or something. We've been working diligently on a website. So that's, uh, I believe we've made that announcement. So it hopefully will be out to you in the near future. Uh, and as always, our beautiful email at b.the.change.yps at gmail.com. <laughs> Don't let Riley come up with the emails is the, the theory of behind this all. But uh, yeah, take care. Have a good week, people. Ciao. See you.